Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, we got a lot to get to today. PK is back. He was at the Pac-12 Media Day, took a little time off, hit the beach in Southern California, but he is back to talk Pac-12 Media Day. What he learned, you never know who he talked to off the air. And his impressions of some of the people, you know, we can hear it, but you can see body language and facial expressions. I'm curious who he thinks... Uh, A little more of after going through Pac-12 Media Day and maybe who he has a few more doubts about as well. We'll get to all that coming up right now, though. The Utes' Devin Lloyd at Pac-12 Media Day. Here he is. Devin, thanks for a few minutes. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? Hey, we're doing great. You you having fun? You mentioned this is your first Media Day. Yes. Going okay? It's a whirlwind, but it's exciting, too. Well, uh, give us your thoughts. Uh, you're coming into this season. You had a great year last year, as weird as, as it was. And, uh, you know, we noticed you're on the, the first team, all Pac-12 going in. What does it feel to have kind of these expectations going into the season? Um, it's just an honor and a blessing. But um, at the same time, uh, it means nothing just because of, you know, you, it's a matter of you, what you prove, you know, in season. Um, and so I'm just uh, – honored to be on the list and everything but you know I hold myself to an even higher expectation the highest expectation on myself and so um, I just plan on just going out there and doing everything I can to um, meet those expectations and you know help my team win a championship. So when you were recruited by Whittingham who's an expert on putting defensive guys into the NFL what were your expectations at this point in the program as you were forecasting back then till now? Um, it would be well, simply just to be the best player I can be. Um, you know, as far as statistics and all that, I, I can't really, you know, go into great detail. But ultimately, it would just be to set myself up in a position to uh, help my team win a championship and then set myself up in position to uh, be a high draft pick. So you saw potential NFL beyond yes. just wanting it to be a goal? Yes, yes. So did that play into the decision to come back to improve NFL status, or was it something you wanted to accomplish at Utah, or a little bit of both? Um, that wasn't the main reason. that it, it was a part of it for sure. I mean, I was late second to early third. I feel like I could have bumped myself up possibly to a first, but ultimately I really wanted to come back just to finish my career off the right way. Um, I felt like this university you know, has done a lot for me, and um, I felt like I didn't want to leave my career um, you know, going three and two, you know, um, just – with no fans, uh, you know, t- crazy 2020 COVID season, just oh, full of, you know, just a lot of ups and downs. I really wanted to uh, end it the right way. I really wanted to just go out on top. And obviously, you know, you got to work for everything. And nothing is guaranteed this all preseason. But, you know, I have high aspirations for this team. And, you know, I know the team does as well. And um, no matter what the results are, I just wanted to go out the right way. So last year, you were one of the few guys who had literally any experience because the prior year, you lost so many guys to the Mm -hmm. NFL. Now, a lot of those guys got the experience, so they got their taste several games. Not enough, but they did get some taste. So what are you expecting of all those young kids who last year had no experience, and now they got some? Yeah. Um, So especially for the first-time starters and uh, all the young guys, um, just a little bit more... uh, clean up in their play but ultimately i want them to go out there and be freer uh be more free i guess you could say um understanding that the moment is never too big because we've been playing this game our whole lives and as long as we've been playing you know you should never be afraid to go out and make a mistake or you know um just be afraid to go play your game um and i think getting their feet wet helped their confidence uh so much and um 
I really just want to see them, you know, take that next step, even though it was only five games. You know, we had a whole offseason of film study based off those games. And so I want to see them take that next step um, to being, you know, elite. So we've been watching Coach Witt's defenses for uh, for a long, long time. And I, I guess my question is, why do you think you fit so well in that defense? Or why does the scheme complement what you do so well? Yeah, um, I think the scheme is amazing. And um, personally, uh, no matter who's in the uh, defense, I feel like the scheme is going to have success just because of how it's uh, set up. But I think the scheme personally fits me um, just because uh, of what my ability is and, you know, what it asks of uh, the backers. So being able to go on the line of scrimmage and, you know, make plays, get in the backfield, but still getting off the ball and, you know, just a regular middle linebacker, side linebacker, and still dropping back in zone coverage, but defending the run, it asks you to do um, a, a range of different things. And I think that fits my skill set. What do you think you need to work on? Um, so the main things that I didn't put on film last year uh, that I, I plan on putting on film this year is um, striking and separating, getting full extension, um, and then shedding blocks uh, quicker, and then fitting up on the ball, being a more functional tackler. So instead of just hitting them, you know, making sure I'm driving them back, I'm getting the hips through, um, eliminating all hesitation, but um, ultimately just taking more chances, uh, eliminate assignment ball, and just really going out and playing football. So instead of just focusing on, you know, just doing my job and, you know, go out and um, just wreck havoc, you know, and sometimes wrecking havoc, you know, will do more than just doing your job. Uh-huh. And, you know, just getting back to how it was in high school where you would just go out there and you would just just have that mentality of just like you know, be all over the place, just be all over the place, no matter what's going on, you know, just that freedom, yeah. that freedom. What about the defense as uh, as a whole? What's the, the potential of this defense? Uh, um, I mean, f- based off last year, we were top two, I think, in most major categories in the Pac-12 statistically, uh, and that just speaks to the scheme and our defensive coordinator and Coach Witt. But um, I think we have the highest expectations as a defense. Uh, we want to lead the league in turnovers. We want to lead the league in third down defense and uh, total yardage. No, those are our expectations, and I think we are more than capable of upholding those expectations should we do all the right things. How much does Scally yell at you? He doesn't really yell at us, um, especially the veteran guys who have been here the longest. You know, I mean, you know, he doesn't really get on us because we're the ones setting the example and the standard. Some of the younger guys who got to pick it up or aren't necessarily all the way on par with their assignments, those are the guys he's going to rip them a little bit more just so, you know, they can get up to – up to par, you know, um, but he, I mean, it's, Coach Scali's a great coach, and, you know, he doesn't, you know, say anything that doesn't need to be said, so. Did you know that he was once, uh, for a year, a goofball sports radio host on our uh, station? I didn't know that. I know he did a lot of things before coaching, though. I, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it was the year after, was 2004 when they went to the Fiesta Bowl, so it was the next year. Oh. He, was, he had a show on our station. Oh, I didn't know that. I kind of <laughs> want to go back and hear so something. We got to know him a little bit. It, okay. It, it, it's funny to watch him coach as opposed to the goofball he was on the radio because he's the same guy, yeah. but much more focused. Yeah, I know he's definitely a goofball outside of, you know, the lines and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, whatever, like you said, whenever we're in between those lines and his football and his ball, he, he's locked in. And, you know, I you appreciate know, you that. You talk about him. being all over the place in high school. 
And a lot of times, particularly at Utah, guys play other positions in high school, uh-huh. and then they end up settling at a different position and when they get to the college ranks. What was it like for you as far as what you played and what you did at the high school level? Yeah, so um, going into my senior year, my mentality was I'm a wide receiver. I would say about halfway through the season, it was, okay, I'm a free safety. And then <laughs> as soon as I got offered by the University of Utah, this is February, this is uh, like early February um, 2017, I believe, is when I was like, okay, I'm a linebacker. So just the shifting of mentalities, you know, of like, okay, this is what I play, this is what I play, this is what I play. But I took something from all all positions, like um, a lot of my fluidity comes from my receiver yeah. uh, part of me, but a lot of my range and you know versatility in the passing game and open space comes from um, the safety side of me. And then I've over the years developed, you know, how to play backer. And, you know, I still have a ways to go, but um, just as far as, you know, I'm appreciative for my background. So did they tell down. you, did the U of U tell you you were a linebacker? Yeah, yeah, they offered me and they said, I want you to play linebacker. And I appreciate how upfront they were with me. And, you know, at first, um, I obviously took a little bit of thinking, but, you know, I felt like, you know, linebacker was a perfect position for me um, just for, based off how I played and my play style and, you know, what the scheme had to offer me and the team had to offer. Handing out hits has got to be better than taking them, right? 100%. <laughs> I wish I would have recognized that a little bit earlier. I just love scoring touchdowns. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely, you know, love middle linebacker. And I think it's the best position on the field, in my opinion. There's the youth defensive star Devin Lloyd expecting to lead the linebacker core this season for Utah. When we come back... NBA free agency, who's ready for some drama. we got a little bit of news. Also, Jared Butler's press conference as we put a wrap on the draft and look ahead to free agency. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, what is Kawhi Leonard going to do? He has opted out of $36 million with the Los Angeles Clippers. Of course, he may have done that simply to get more money. It doesn't mean he's leaving the Clippers. He's Kawhi Leonard, so I would assume nothing until it's done. But he is eligible for four years and $176 million. You do the math on that, that that's a lot more than $36 million per year. He is in for a raise about to about an average of $44 million a year. And the other thing you can do is just sign for uh, a one-on-one deal and become a free agent in 2022, and he'll be eligible for five years and $235 million, which instead of an average of $44 million, is closer to $49 million. So money's coming Leonard's way. And I know he jacked up his knees, right ACL, didn't play at the end of the playoffs, missed eight postseason games in a row. Yeah, he's still getting paid. There's no doubt about it. All right, well, before we get to free agency and what are the Jazz going to do, um, are they going to get their point guard back? Basically, is that, that's really what it comes down to. Before we do that, let's listen to Jared Butler's press conference. I know, one last look back at the draft. Here's the new Jazz man. Hi, I'm, I'm Jared Butler. Just um, really excited to be here. Um, 
my journey is come to Utah. So it's a great chapter in my life. And I just uh, can't wait to get to know you guys. I feel like we're going to be talking to you all a lot. And um, yeah, just excited to be here. Go ahead and open it up. You guys want to raise your hands? If you guys have questions, we'll start there. Hey, I'm Andrew Larson from the Salt Lake Tribune. Good to meet you. Um, just can you tell us about kind of how this process unfolded from your point of view and especially with the jazz kind of when you knew they were interested in you and kind of, you know, when, when did they talk to you on draft night, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, it's really a lot to explain. Um, I mean, obviously I played at Baylor university. The jazz has some great ties with Baylor and um, I knew some guys in the front office just from, you know, knowing, knowing guys, but, um, I think through the draft process, I, I knew they had some interest, but they were at 30, and um, they kind of didn't think that I was going to get to 30. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm here now, so um, that's, that's just about it. And on draft night, it was a, it was a rough night for me, um, but I think then when the drafts, I mean, when the, when the Jazz called me, it was just extremely, you know, thankful, and, you know, I, this is where I'm supposed to be, and I'm just, you know, honored for sure. Uh, Tony, my name is Tony Jones from the, uh, the Athletic. Um, you know, can you go in a little bit more detail, you know, just about the night, the emotions of the night, knowing that you're a guy that, that probably has, you know, teams value in the team, certainly, you know, in, in, in the middle of the first round and the slide all the way to 40 uh, because of stuff that's largely out of your control. Yeah. What are your thoughts there and, and, and how do you deal with it and how do you process stuff like that? Yeah, um, um, I have faith, obviously. And um, sometimes when you have faith, you don't know all the answers. You don't know all the um, ins and outs and how things are going to work. Um, but for me, I just tried my hardest to have faith and uh, that the Lord was going to direct me where I needed to go. And um, you guys, my parents, it was it was really hard, really tough. Because like you said, it was something out of my control. And, you know, I can't change, you know, who I am physically. You know, that's kind of hard. But um like I said, at the end of the day, I think this is where I'm supposed to be, and I'm just so excited. Hi, Jared. Nice to meet you. Yeah. I'm Eric Walden. I work with Andy at the Salt Tribune. Nice. Um, can you take us through? I, I think a lot of people have never heard of the fit to play situation before. We can you kind of take us through the process of getting medically cleared by the NBA. Um, was that yeah, the heart condition, the knee condition, both? Yeah, I, I won't go into specifics about the condition or um, whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm not asking you to reveal anything. Yeah. I'll just kind of take us through what that process was like. Yeah, so it's pretty not um, pretty simple. Um, they, you know, whatever the field of interest is, um, they get three of the um, three doctors, um, one from the NBA, one from the NBA Players Association, and then those two doctors collaborate on getting a third doctor to to make it a, a three person panel and. Um, I got a chance to speak before the panel and um, me and my agent and some other representatives that I wanted um, to kind of like state my case and give my last remarks about, you know, this is why I should like, whatever. And um, so, yeah, and they, and they, they um, deliberated and talked through it and they ultimately came to the decision. Um, I'm Ryan Miller from KSL. I just, what do you like about your fit coming here? Yeah, I like how they shoot a lot of threes. Um, obviously, at Baylor, we shot a lot of threes, too. Catch and shoot, off the dribble, pick and roll. Um, so, yeah, I'm extremely excited about that. And I feel like the culture here is also something that I can um, really adjust to. And um, just really great people, honestly. And that's what I'm about. And um, just trying to be a fit and, you know, build up a culture that's, you know, 
inspiration to other people. Ben Anderson, KSL Sports. You said you know the Lindsays, obviously. Mm -hmm. Have you met Quinn Snyder yet? Have you talked to him? And, and who else do you know from the team, if at all? Yeah, Coach Quinn was the first person to call me, actually, um, on draft night. And um, he was pretty emotional, understood my story, and um, relayed to me that he he was just, like, extremely happy that, you know, I got to 40. And um, you could just tell that he drafted me as a person and wanted me for, you know, who I am as a person and, and not just, you know, basketball skills. Um, so that was really comforting for me. And um, Jake and um, Mr. Dennis Lindsay is, uh, is also some people that I know very, very, very well, and they've um, been extremely part of my life. So, yeah. Uh, Sarah Todd from the Desert News. Uh, do you know whether or not you're going to be playing in Summer League yet? Have you had talks about that with the guys in front of us? Yeah, it's kind of still in, in the, um, debate, but I'm, I'm healthy enough to play, but yeah. The uh, prospect of playing with guys like Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, like you said, and I mean, just some very veteran guys, Mike Conley, possibly. Yeah. And what's that like knowing that those are, those are the guys that you could be possibly learning from your first season? It's like a goldmine for me just because, you know, the level of where they're at in their career and um, what they're doing is something I want to do. So, like, you know, I'm, I'm – I have no problem being like, Mike, like, how do I get there? How do I be this guy? How do I be like you type thing? And um, so I'm, it's like a goldmine for me. And um, I'm humble enough to, to, to realize my role. And, um, but I think at the same time, I can make huge contributions to winning. And, um, and that's what I'm all about. Just what do you want some jazz fans to kind of know about yourself off the court? What are you like? What do you what what are your hobbies? I mean, kind of what what are you like besides on the court? Yeah, pretty cool guy. Um, <laughs> pretty, yeah, yeah. Um, I love going to eat with people. Like literally, just going to eat and having genuine conversations. Um, I like going to the lake sometimes, being on the boat. It's kind of nice. Um, but, yeah, just I like to smile, laugh. Um, pretty genuine and personable person. Uh, can talk to anybody. And, um, yeah, that's about it. When uh, at Baylor and throughout your college career or somebody that, that played a point and played a two, how important is that positional versatility for you? And how important has it? do you think it's been for your development to get to this point? Yeah, it's been huge my whole life. Um, I can remember being fourth grade playing on and off the ball. And, um, you know, I didn't know at the time, but it was preparing me for the league and how it is right now with guys who, you know, not just because you bring the ball to the court doesn't mean you're not coming off the ball screen, um, things like that. So I, I, I've been prepared for it my whole life. And um, it's definitely something that I think is going to be come to my advantage and allow me to get on the court quicker because I'm not um, confined to one position. Uh, why did you go back to school after your or after your sophomore year? Why? Yeah, you probably got drafted last year. Yeah, right? for sure. Um, I just think um, from the council of the people around me, um, they said I could be, you know, a first round pick. That didn't happen, but but also our team is going to be really good. Um, you know, we had a chance to win a national championship. We had a chance to just win the Big Twelve. So that was that was other reasons. Too. What did you learn from that? What did I learn? Yeah, just from going back. Oh, a lot of stuff, especially about just me as a person, handling adversity, how to win um, at the highest level, um, playing with guys who are also at a, at a high level and, you know, NBA players as well. Um, 
and then also building a culture and like having it as your own you know what i mean it's, it's a hard thing to do um especially as like college kids and you know you're trying to you know get the nation to be on notice of what you're doing and you know that's something that we did any more questions in the room Okay, so, okay, we'll move over to Zoom now. Go ahead, Danny. You said look straight, right? Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah. So if you're in the Zoom room, please raise your hand if you have a question for Jared. We'll start with uh, Danny Green, ABC4. Hey, Jared. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. We're good. Okay, cool. Hey, uh, I just want to know what that experience of winning a national championship was like for you and, and how much, uh, I mean, playing such an, in such a big time environment like the Final Four, how does that prepare you? for your uh, first year in the NBA? Yeah, it's extreme um, stage. I mean, like, it's it's a kid's dream. Anybody that plays college, they want to win a national championship. And um, for me, it was just, like, the relationships I built with the team, um, it's, like, it's going to last a, life long, a lifetime. And, um, you know, to cap it off with that moment and, you know, working so hard and not knowing whether or not you're going to win, it's, it's just – it's just something so fulfilling, um, but uh, I think it's more so the the relationships I build, and not so much the the championship. Because at the end of the day, it's just a game. But you know, the people and the people we inspired was like really cool. Great. Next, we'll go to Nio Campbell, UtahJazz.com. Hi, Jared. Nice to meet you. Um, so, as a rookie, what impact do you want to have both on the court and off the court? Um, I think on the court, I don't want to be a liability. I don't want to, I don't want you to know that I'm a rookie. Um, I want you to think that as if I've been playing in the league for, you know, six or seven years. Um, and also just not, I don't stick out. So that's kind of the same thing, but like, you don't say like, oh, this guy, like, is this guy a rookie? That's, that's kind of like my thing on the court. And I think off the court, um, um, adding to the culture and not um, making a negative impact, being a positive impact to the culture of the team and um, what the organization is about and um, and being about the right things. That's that's kind of what I'm trying to do on and off the court. And then, Dana, did you have a follow-up for Jared? Yeah, I just wanted to know, Jared, did you have any experience with Salt Lake City or with Utah before you you uh, you got here? Any uh, any uh, or What are your thoughts of Salt Lake now that you've been here for a little bit? Yeah, so we played an NCAA tournament game here in Salt Lake, and um, we actually got a chance to practice in the facility, so that was pretty cool. Um, but other than that, that was my only experience beforehand. But today, you know, the mountains are cool. Uh, the scenery, I don't think it, it can ever get old. And um, the weather's nice. I'm from New Orleans, so it's hot, and you're sweating as soon as you get outside. But here, it's just a nice little breeze, so that's about it. All right, there is Jared Butler. When we come back, Ron Barker, Pac-12 Assistant Commissioner for Enforcement. And oh boy, he also worked for the NCAA as an investigator. And he got stories for you. He is going to blow your mind. Coming up next, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Time now to talk college sports with Ron Barker. Ron Barker joined the Pac-10 as an assistant commissioner for governance and enforcement in October of 2001 
and was promoted to associate commissioner in February of 2006. We're going to talk with him as he joins us right now on the Smart Rain Guest Line. July is considered Smart Irrigation Month. To celebrate Best of State Award winner, Smart Rain is giving away free smart controllers to commercial properties until the end of July. Hosting costs not included. Visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333 for more information. Ron, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. So, Ron, you are a former BYU assistant basketball coach under Roger Reed, and then you eventually graduated to cracking skulls in the Pac-10. I'm sorry, did I embellish that too much? No, that's pretty much what I did. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, so uh, I think a lot of people driving around you know, have heard stories about how much cheating is going on. And as a longtime member of the media, I have heard spectacular stories. And I will say, when is the last year that you were involved in the uh, conference governance? So I left the Pac-12 in October of this past year, October 2020. So I was there for 19 years, and I was involved in everything that went on during that time. The most, some of the most recent stuff. There's still an ongoing FBI men's basketball investigation involving about 20 schools, and I was in the middle of that. And, I don't know why it's taking the NCAA so long, but it does sometimes, and this one's taking forever. Okay, so you basically stole 90% of my question. You're a BYU guy, and I'm not. So I was going to say, why does it take the NBA so bleeping, or the NBA, the NCAA so bleeping long? But can you explain to people why, if there's FBI wiretaps, we're sitting around a couple of years later and nothing's happened to some of these schools? Yeah, so anytime law enforcement gets involved, it just extends the process. The NCAA usually takes a wait and, and wait for the law enforcement to get done before they'll move on it. So, you know, this one's taking forever. The the varsity uh, Blues case where the parents were driving uh, coaches and making them look like they were athletes so they could get their kids into schools, that's still ongoing with the NCAA as well, too, as well, even though some of the parents have served prison time and been out of prison for a while. So it just takes a while. If it doesn't involve the, uh, law enforcement, then you can get it done more more quickly. But even then, it'll still take up to a year. The, the Reggie Bush UFC case that I worked on took four years. And even to this day, they don't know for sure. They, people don't know what actually happened in that one. Okay, side note on the Reggie Bush deal. So his parents got a new home in Spring Valley. This will shock you, but I didn't actually grow up in San Diego. I grew up in the suburb of Spring Valley. And I lived on the western edge by Sweetwater Lake when I was in elementary school. And then in junior high and high school, between 7th and 8th grade, we moved out to kind of the eastern edge, Steel Canyon, where that new high school is out there. For the life of me, when you're Reggie Bush, how do you not end up with a house in La Jolla? What do you do with a house in Spring Valley? Can you shed any light on what happened there? Because... I've lived in Spring Valley. You're Reggie Bush. Yeah, so this is a perfect example. Since you're from there, I'm from Orange County, California. Uh-huh. At the time, everyone kept making a big deal about, oh, he's living in a three-quarter of a million-dollar house. They didn't get the house. They just lived there for free for a year. So they didn't get the house, they, but they lived there. But I kept telling the NCAA people, look, three-quarters of a million dollars in San Diego isn't the same as three-quarters of a million dollars in Indianapolis. And that took a long time for them to get that through their heads. And I said, go out to San Diego and look at the house, and you'll see what we're talking about. But in the Reggie Bush case, the, Reggie Bush's stepdad was going to start a sports marketing firm with a guy named, um, I'm not even going to names, but they're with the guy who's well-known. And Reggie Bush didn't know they were doing it. 
And so the, the NCAA kept trying to link it to USC, saying USC is involved in this. And every time they tried to tie it to Pete Carroll, they struck out. So I actually sat between Pete Carroll and Lane Kiffin at the hearing, and they kept trying to figure out how is USC involved in this, and they never really tied it much to USC except for a couple of phone calls between an assistant coach and the guy who was doing this with Reggie Bishop's stepdad. And in some of the interviews we found out, we found out why some of those phone calls were going on. So I'm not an apologist for USC by any means. I've worked at the Pac-12 or 11 schools, wanted to see them go down, but at the, that was one of probably one of the biggest miscarriages of justice for actually what USC was involved in doing. So, I think people assume that over the years USC has cheated a lot, but I think people assume that in the last ten to fifteen years, Oregon's been doing their fair cheating, and nothing worse than the Will Willie Lyles that lame explanation. I didn't know who you were talking about. Oh, please. So how guilty is Oregon of using middlemen and runners to get athletes, and is UCLA not doing that? And is that the biggest difference between how much Chip Kelly won in Oregon and how much he isn't winning at UCLA? No, I think the big thing with the Oregon case at the time with Willie Lyles was everybody was doing that with what Oregon was doing. Oregon got caught. I used to laugh and say at the Pac-12, you know, there, some of our schools are doing what everybody's doing. We're just not as good at it. And so when Oregon got caught doing something that probably 70% of the schools were doing at the time, it was just another case of, okay, so the, you need to get better at how you do this, which I shouldn't say that. But there, there are things going on that everybody does. It's like speeding on the freeway. That's the example I used to use. You're driving on the California freeways. Hardly anybody's going 65. And if a policeman pulls you over and you're going 75, you can't say, well, look, everybody's doing it. You're the one who got caught. And so that's what happens a lot in college sports is somebody gets caught for doing something that everybody's doing. Um, you know, I, I, what I'm trying to do now, I left. I wasn't able to talk about my case. I wasn't able to talk about what I was doing. And so for 20 years I sat and worked, and people would come up to me, my friends who knew what I was doing, and say, you know, tell me what's going on here, and I couldn't. And so the stories that are out there, people don't have a, a, a kind of – you kind of get the uh, the subterfuge a little bit, and the, the media covers a little bit on the top, and then it's forgotten. So people don't really know the details of what's going on. So what I'm trying to do now is write fictional books based on actual cases. So the first one I wrote is called The Reluctant Players, and it's on Amazon. It's it's about a junior college basketball coach who basically taught taught his two star players how to cheat on a math class, a correspondence math class. And then once they did and were successful in it, he then blackmailed them and said, if you don't go to this Division One school that I'm going to get hired at, I'm going to expose you. And, and that, that happened? Kind of that goes on. And that yeah, happened? That happened. Actually, true case, yes. Tell us which league. I'm not going to tell you. I'm oh, not come on. Because one of the purposes for me is I don't want to expose people that have gone through things 20 years ago. If someone's guilty... You know, you can go and read about they're all the innocent people that got caught events. The two players in this, they cheated on a math class, which isn't great. But then they got blackmailed into going into a school they didn't want to go to with a coach they didn't like, and it ruined their careers. They never ended up doing anything. They were both pretty good players. So the SEC, huh? I'm not going to say. Okay. I was at the NCAA for about two and a half, almost three years, enough to see what, how, how messed up it is and how hard it is to be in enforcement there. I worked SEC cases quite a bit. I worked all over the place at the NCAA. And, you know, there's things that go on that people have no clue about, and you get a tip of the iceberg when someone big gets caught. That when the stuff that's going on day to day after day, and, unless it's a big school, people don't care that much about it. So do... Do SEC schools cheat more, and do they cheat more competently? Those are two different things, 
but the quality and the quantity of the cheating. That's the perception. How close is it to the reality? You know, I don't know that you can say anyone cheats more. Or, you know, sometimes it's just someone, there's, you know, the pack, when there's a Pac-10, I used to process 250 violations a year. So I was about 25 per school. And most of them weren't cheating as much as someone just made a mistake. And what the goal was to try to teach them from it, put a little penalty on it, and then move on and hope they don't do it again. When you get to the bigger stuff, the, the actual real cheating, it takes a concerted effort to do it and get away with it. And so there's not as much as people that's going on, but the, what is going on is very well organized. And so the people who have the most money, I think, are the ones who are, ones are able to do it better. They know how to do it. I, I don't accuse anybody. I have a lot of good friends. Greg Sankey and I are good friends with Commissioner of SEC. So I don't accuse anybody. I just think there are some people that are better than others. Okay, so we're joined right now by uh, former BYU assistant basketball coach Ron Barker, coached uh, under Roger Reed, late 80s, early 90s, and then head of compliance for Pac-12, was there for a couple decades. And you know, because of your time at the NCAA, some of the stuff that happened nationally. So PK and I have been doing the radio show since 2002. And before that, we moved to the market in 92, 93. So we've heard a lot of stuff. And... Stuff that we believe is true, but we can't prove because one angry person leaks it, but you don't have it confirmed by somebody else, and you know there's an agenda, so you got to be super careful. But there's been enough stuff out there, both locally, regionally, and nationally, that we kind of get a feel for what's going on, even if we can't prove any individual specific case. You're writing these books. Are you ever going to write a book about a star athlete who everyone knows, who not only got paid to go to school, but was able to charge as much as 25000 for a home visit because it helped the other schools recruit to say they were in on this star player, and a home visit held them recruit other star players who wanted to play with said player. So I'm, everything I'm going to write is going to be fictional based mm-hmm. on real cases. Right. So I'm never going to point the finger and say, hey, who's doing this and, and this is what's happening. Right. That's not my goal. I don't want to do that. I've 20 years lived that. I am writing real cases. This is a real, real case. I believe this is so a real case. I believe yeah. that really and happened. I, I, when I was at the NCAA, I investigate, investigated a case that you can go and read about where the high school coach of the, the player's mom was illiterate and had no dad in the picture. So the high school coach is the one shopping the player around. He charged $5,000 for every visit to a school, and multiple schools took it. And then when he finally sold the guy, sold his own player to a school and took, I think it was $25,000 about a Ford Explorer, the assistant high school coach blew the whistle. And I'm sitting in Memphis, Tennessee at midnight talking to this assistant coach, sitting there going, wait, what you're telling me is so incredulous. How can you're telling us? How can you're coming forward? And he said, I was supposed to get a car, too, and I didn't get one. And that's why he came forward with it. The high school coach eventually got brought up on charges and served jail time. And I believe it was an old statute on the book about slavery and selling a human being. And that's what they got him on. So stuff like that goes on. And that, and that involves some pretty big schools. The school, you know, there's four or five people at the NCAA working on it. And my particular point of it was one school that was paying for the, coach, for the high school coach to bring the kid on a visit. And we're able to do that. You know, just to give you an example of things, my very last case at the NCAA that I was involved with was Rick Majerus. And I told Utah when I came, I said, look, I used to work at BYU. I want to be fair. I want to be on the up and up. And I have no axe to grind. I like Rick Majerus. I thought he was a great coach. 
And the NCA couldn't get over to the, well, he's living in a hotel. And I said, yeah, he lives in the hotel. So when he takes a kid on a, a dinner, you know, you can take an occasional meal back at the time, and he took a player to dinner at the hotel, that's his home. And the NCA said, no, that's not permissible. And so they went after him for a whole bunch of stuff, for having pizza at practice and just dumb stuff. And I kept sitting there going, you mean there's all this stuff going on and we're going after a coach for taking the kid to dinner where he lives at the hotel? And that was the kind of stuff that drove me crazy at the NCAA when there's big, big stuff going on. But the NCAA's got their hands tied. They you know, have no subpoena powers. They can't touch, get people to force them to talk to them. They can't lie about what they're doing. You know, It's, it's a, almost a miracle they catch anything at all. Now that name, image, and likeness money is legal, for lack of a better term, can the money essentially be laundered? Money that was being paid to get kids to certain schools and all that, can they now just find a booster, a business to take care of a kid? And so is a lot of what was illegal going to be legal? Well, when they were talking name, image, and likeness, and I was in on the conversations, I would be the only one in the room with the experience of doing enforcement. And I would sit there going, wait a second. So what you're telling me now is if I'm a booster at a big school and have unlimited money, I can tell a high school kid, hey, I'm going to do a T-shirt business for you. You're going to make so much per T-shirts, and we're going to guarantee you're going to sell 100,000 T-shirts. And everyone would go, no, no, you can't do it as part of incentive and recruiting. I'm like, how are you going to catch that? So you basically, to catch a booster could actually do that and, and have agreement with the kid in advance that we are going to give you this amount of money as long as nobody can prove that he had that agreement as a recruiting tool. So, yes, that's going to happen. I, I think it's naive to think it's not going to happen. So are we going to get to the point, then, that the only schools that get busted are the ones where law enforcement gets involved for one reason or another, and those cases will probably be few and far between? Well, you're going to, you're, that's one possibility. You're also going to have cases, which I've had before, where a, a family feels like what's going on is terrible, so they tape record coaches or play or the boosters telling them things in advance. So if you can get some kind of proof of that, then, then you're able to get that. The case I worked on that I wrote the book on, The Reluctant Players, it, it, the, one of the reasons that we've had tough, a tough time getting is how do you prove that a school is going to hire a coach if he brings players with him? You know, that's almost impossible to prove that in this particular case, there was an ex-wife with an axe to grind who had all of the proof and mailed it to me anonymously, and I got everything shown with the cheating on the test, showing who helped and how they did it. And that's the only way you catch this kind of stuff. Do you think I that to, oh, I used to talk to coaches and say they'd complain about something? I say, how can I prove that? And they'd say, well, I'm not going to talk on the record. And I said, well, if I don't get you on the record, then how do I prove it? And they'd say, well, I'll give you advance notice and we'll film it for you and we'll send it to you. You know, and and so that you know, it takes a coach getting really mad because one of the big problems is coaches don't turn each other in, but then they complain about all the cheating that goes on. And so it's hard to do that, but. Yeah, it's going to take either law enforcement or it's going to take somebody that has enough of an axe to grind that they're going to go and tape it themselves or film it themselves. Ron Barker, former head of compliance for the Pac-12 and a BYU assistant basketball coach from 1989 to 91, joining us. So in the past, there have been cases where boosters want to hang out with star athletes and take them on trips and vacations, and the NCAA would go after people for that kind of stuff. But under name, image, and likeness, is that all going to be okay now? If you have money and you want to buddy up uh, to some star athlete, is that okay? No, you have to, there has to be some kind of uh, service rendered. The athlete can't just have, you know, you, could, you can get really creative and find ways to do what you want to do, but there has to be 
you can't just say, I want to be a buddy and take this person to wherever Vegas or wherever. You have to say, we're going to go there and we're going to have an autograph signing show or something of that nature where the athlete is actually doing something. So but it's going to be interesting to watch this unfold. Right now, I think everybody's really the alarmist, and there's not going to be that many kids who profit a lot off of it. But every kid that is from a small town can go back and do a summer camp at that town and make a little bit of money. And when, when I started in college athletics, my attitude used to be athletes shouldn't get paid. They're getting college scholarships. I work my butt off to get the same thing they're getting, and they get tutors, and they get, you know, it's it's really a good deal for the athlete, and they, and they get a degree that is worth how much money the rest of their life. I've completely changed. I'm 180 degrees different because you have coaches making five, six, seven million dollars, commissioners making five million dollars. So why shouldn't the student athletes get their share? I, I've changed in, in that regard over the last 20 years. So, give me one more book idea you're working on that you haven't written yet, but you're gonna you're gonna get to it. You got the knowledge. Well, I'm working on my uh, the second one's almost done, and the third one I'm just starting. It's about a, a school that had a star running back, and he ended up he was a 19 year old inner city kid and had an affair with the head of compliance at the school, who was a 30 year old woman, who was very prim and proper. And when I did the interview, the kid kept telling me that. She was giving him things, and I said, you know, I talked to her, and I've talked to you. No offense to you, but do you have any kind of proof? And I talked to him several times. I just didn't believe him. He hands me his phone and shows me text messages with the most vulgar things I'd ever read in my life from that 30-year-old head of compliance. And when I confronted her with it, she said, uh, and got up and walked out of the room with her attorney and, and left. Left her job, completely disappeared. In the middle of the case, the star football player got into an altercation at a dance club, totally unrelated, and ended up stabbing and killing somebody who was also a former player at the school. When they called me the next day, it was on Saturday morning, I thought he killed the woman. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this just happened. It just like it makes you feel sick. And then I found out it was unrelated, still terrible. That player obviously no longer plays. He's in jail, I think. I, I don't know if he's on death row or if he just got a lifetime sentence. But those are the kind of things that happen you just don't hear about. Well, you stunned Jake and I right there at the end of the interview with that. Holy cow. Yeah. The, the, the one, you know, the, the, the first one I wrote, the reason I picked it is because it's just such an easy thing to understand. What this coach did, he's the junior college coach, he said to the two players, you have to take the correspondence class because you can't pass the math class. Then he wore gloves every time he touched paperwork because he had been involved in a violation earlier at another school. He helped him with the test. He went to two tutors for the junior college who are 18-year-old girls who, who had no clue what he was doing. And he went to one and said, these players have to do the even problems. If you'll do the odd problems, they'll see how you work it out, and they'll be able to do it. And then he went to the other one and said the exact opposite. So the girls were doing everything, not knowing it. Then he would take the papers. The players would copy them over in their own handwriting, and then he would turn it in. When he came to the final exam, he had to have a practice. So he went to the superintendent of state of schools for the state of Mississippi, not in what school that, who was a buddy of his, and said, hey, will you practice this exam? I'll bring some beer out. We'll watch a game while they take it. And so they sat in the guy's house and copied over a final exam that the coach had had, had the girls do like by covering it up when he made it so it didn't say final exam. Then they passed it all. Everything's going great. And then he goes to the kids and says, Hey, so you're going to get exposed. I'm going to, I'm going to tell everyone what you did. It'd be such a shame unless you go to school X. And then he got hired there. When this all got proved and I interviewed him, he had been fired by this time. He was 
getting his law degree, and I interviewed him in the state Supreme Court chambers where he was an clerking uh, for the state Supreme Court. So you can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's just unbelievable, these kind of things that happen. And I think people would be interested reading going, hmm, this is just an actual real case. This is how it unfolds. You kind of see how the NCA works and some of the limitations. You see when they screw up. And so I'm trying to give a shed light on something that people just don't know much about. Because even when I'm working, when I was working the USC case, I used to read the media reports, and no, it's not the media's fault. They just don't have the the understanding of how the NCA process works and how how weird it is. And so I would read things on ESPN and go, man, that's completely wrong with what's happening. But I couldn't talk, and I wasn't going to talk to anybody. So I'm hoping through this to kind of shed a little bit more light so people can read the books and go, oh, oh. And then when you'll see a future case, maybe you won't be so quick to judge or just rush to judgment. Maybe you'll want to hear a little bit more and be able to think a little bit more critically about, okay, here's what I'm reading, but what actually is going on? And, and I think you'll be able to understand things a little bit more clearly. So where can people get these books? The first book's on Amazon. If you type in Ron Barker or The Reluctant Players, it's there. The second one I'm pretty close to having done. I think I can do two a year is what I'm thinking. So I'm hoping to have – I've already laid it out six to eight books, and I can do more than that, but that's just to see if it gets going. Ultimately, I'd like to do get into a TV show like Law & Order Meets the Sports World. When I was at the Pac-12, I got approached twice by TV people. One time it was just someone wanted to do a reality show, and I said, you can't do this in a reality show because – who in the middle of an investigation is going to give up and find the rights away and, and let everyone explode? And that's not going to happen. And then the other time I got flown out by the guy who worked for David Letterman in Worldwide Pants, and they wanted me to, they wanted to talk to me about it, and I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And they, they loved it, and they thought it was fascinating. And then they said, okay, thanks. And I went, well, why did you fly me out here? And the guy said, well, we only do comedy. And I said, okay, so why am I here? And he said, oh, we had money left in our research budget. We just wanted to talk to you. We think this is fascinating. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just so weird. That guy ended up producing the movie Concussion with, with Will Smith, and he stayed in touch with me. He thinks it's a great idea, and he's trying to sell it around. But, you know, I just, every time he talks to me, I'm like, oh, I don't know how much pull he has in Hollywood. It's not my world. I don't know it. So, but I keep thinking that would be a great TV show. I think that kind of stuff in Hollywood, there's a lot of stuff that's on the back burner and only a small percentage ever gets to the front burner, but you just have to stay in touch with people who have stuff on the back burner because nobody really ever knows what's going to get made. Yeah, and for me, I couldn't talk for 20 years about my job. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of now all of a sudden, I'm even these interviews, like right now, I'm sitting there going, mm, how much can I say? How much can't I say? And, and I again, I don't have a bad, bad, evil bone in my body. I don't want to burn people. I don't. That's not my desire to expose people. But I'd like to have people understand the process and hear some interesting stories. I go out and do uh, corporate speaking gigs and do motivational talks, and I tell a lot of these stories. And so people are fascinated by it. When I worked for the Pac-12, and then people would say, "What do you do?" And I'd say, "I worked for the Pac-12." They either were fascinated and went, "Whoa," or they'd go, "Oh, the phone company." So that's the two <laughs> extremes you get, you know. So I never took it that seriously. Well, Ron, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on, and we will uh, we'll have you on again. We appreciate it. Great. I'll be happy to talk to you. If you ever have an NCAA enforcement thing that comes up and you need some source, give me a call. I'm happy to talk to you, but thanks for the time. Here's Ron Barker, Pac-12 Assistant Commissioner for Enforcement. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah!
Hashtag NBA. Free agency is, is free agency, man. As you know, it's the business we live in. It's something that you know, I have to sit back and consider with my family. And when that time comes, make the decision that's best for us and myself. And like I said, obviously, you know, I've had a, a great time here and great, great experiences. Coaches and Coach Quinn and, and the players and Don and Rudy and everybody. So we'll just have to see what happens. Obviously, if I can't speak and you know, look into the future and what exactly will happen. It's actually like my first time being a real free agent. So it'll be interesting. But, you know, I did, I did love it here. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens. That's Mike Conley at the Jazz Clean Out the Locker Zoom Media Availability Season Ender. Free agency is free agency, PK. No one will argue with that. It starts today, officially, unofficially. you got to figure there's some deals that are already all done and ready to go. To Good. Be announced. Let's go, then. Mike Conley, top of the list for the Utah Jazz. Got the question of the day up. We will get up to the get to this uh, coming up in the next segment. What should the Jazz do? Three years, sixty million, seventy-five million. What would you offer? And we got a lot of answers from uh, seven dollars and fifty cents an hour to uh, forty-five million bucks. That's Her? a pretty big range. No, three years and forty-five oh, million okay. from Jeff. <laughs> And I think there's some bigger ones out there as well. And there are people who make more money than Mike. Kawhi Leonard has turned down a $36 million player option. He's eligible for a four-year deal that would average about $44 million. Chris Paul can do better than that. He turned Chris down 44. Paul turned down the $44 million. So how much is he getting? Well, he won't get 44 per, per year. But it'll get longer. Let's just give you an idea. These guys live in fantasy world here. I mean, the opportunity to just, if Mike McConley never made another cent, I would assume he would be just fine for the rest of his life. I mean, we're talking about money that's incomprehensible to guys like me, and most folks are listening. Uh, so, you know, what's what's another 30 mil? I mean, <laughs> what are you going to get that you don't have, that you want? The bigger pile of cash, and it's coming their way. What will they spend it on, if anything? But which championship contenders will be put together and which will be pulled apart? That will be the interesting part. Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul aren't going anywhere, are they? For Jazz fans trying to assess the West, they're both going to end up with those teams, the Suns and the Clippers, yes? Oh, I can't say that. I don't know. Do you know? Don't know. It's hoping more for your famous gut instinct honed by the mean streets of New Jersey. Does Paul believe he can have a chance for a better title? Again, it goes back for what more financial security do you need so if he's looking for the utmost amount of dollars then I suppose but if he wants to believe there's some place that he can win win it all and gravy train we we sort of look at these guys and say oh well they're just going to chase a ring but yet man winning at winning at at all costs it should be the thing (laughs) so we sort of speak out of both of our both sides of our mouths there as far as that goes, we want them to prioritize winning more than the fan does. And then if they chase it, well, you went and chased it. That doesn't really count. I'm not sure I understand all that. We want you to win at all costs for the team we root for, whoever that is. Miami Heat reportedly closing in on becoming uh, the future home of Kyle Lowry. Raptor star. They can be able to make a deal with him, a sign and trade for Goran Dragic. 
He picked up the option on Dragic's $19.4 million contract for next season. Think Kyle Lowry is the missing piece of Miami, or they're just doing the best they can, but it still doesn't look like a championship roster? Well, I always believe you try to improve. You like to pose that question all or nothing, and you you do it often over the, over the years. So is Kyle Lowry the missing piece? No. Does he make the team better? I can argue that. Drudge has been hurt a lot. For some of the Olympic basketball players, they'll be making their free agent decision while the quarterfinals are going on. Four games set, and the USA will play Spain tonight at 1040 Mountain Time. They beat the Czech Republic, finished 2-1 in group play. So now it's quarterfinals. Win in advance, lose and go home. U.S. and Spain meeting the Olympics for the fourth games in a row. And I'll be sleeping. Yep, me too. <laughs> I'll wake up and see the score. When I wake up, I'll check the score. At hopefully about eight hours plus from there. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Do you have an ideal time frame for naming a starter to help you get ready for the season? Uh, no. Games are starting quarterback. I think I've said that. So, so there's no ideal time because it's Cam. Done. There it is. New England has their quarterback. Game one? Yeah, but then what? Cleveland Browns running back Nick Chubb reached an agreement on a three-year, $36.5 million contract extension with the franchise. $20 million of the deal was guaranteed. Seventh highest among running backs in the league. It's go time for the Browns, PK. They've gone from bad to good. Now can they go from good to great? Can they beat Kansas City and Buffalo and whoever else we have high hopes for in the AFC? The Jets. Yeah, your new favorite team, baby. Back to the future. My new favorite team. Grew up minutes from where they play. I know, but you've always told us you didn't root for the local teams when you grew up there. I don't root for any teams. But now, (laughs) you're going to root for the Jets. Because it's a story. Arizona Cardinals linebacker Jordan Hicks requested a trade by the team. He says he was told in April, shortly after the team drafted Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa, they couldn't compete for a starting job this season. Says the GM told him that. Hicks has played in all 32 games for Arizona since he signed there in 2019. Got to be on the field. Get me out. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Here's a format after looking at a variety of options. And the charge for those of us appointed to a working group was to check our logos, our conference ball caps at the door, and think about college football. So let's just be candid. The, the Pac-12 hasn't had regular access into the playoff. I happen to be one who thinks an adjustment that, that opens that up should be considered. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey on the Pac-12 and the college football playoff. Early in that, Sankey was deflecting the charges that, hey, you knew you were going to rip off Oklahoma and Texas and you drew up a playoff system that's going to get you four, five, however many bursts you can dream of for the SEC. Let's be candid. The Pac-12 has sucked on the SEC commission. Well, those I guys mean, over there. It's interesting because for years there was no playoff. Right. And so we didn't define success by this playoff. And so now that there is... That means either you're great or you suck. And there's nowhere in between because you didn't get a team in 
to the four-team playoff. It doesn't make any sense to me. All those years when I watched college football and there was no playoff, teams were going crazy. The Devils, I was there in 87, and they won the World uh, Super uh, Rose Bowl. And it was the, the be-all, end-all. But now I found out, well, that sucked. What was I thinking? Because they didn't get in. There was no playoff. They didn't win at all. They won the Rose Bowl, and it was the greatest thing ever at the time. But years later, I realized how wrong that was if I follow this line of thinking. Yeah, but I think the line of thinking was always win the biggest game you're allowed to play. That was the biggest game they were allowed to play. Now right, it's no allowed longer. to play. Right. So, so if somebody doesn't allow you to play, then how is that any different? Because it's a committee. It's not settled on the field completely. It's like figure skating. It's a committee. It's judged. Yeah, so how's that any different? Nice try there. I'll give you credit, but it didn't work. It's about as dumb as your thing that you said last week of letting Hawaii into the Pac-12. Yeah, I regret that. I retract that, Your Honor. (laughs) So we have trouble with late games, so let's put on later games. No, that wasn't what I was saying, but I still retract it. No, plugging them into the existing 830 slot, but never mind. I retracted that. Okay. Uh, let's see, what else have we got from college sports? Well, this is a shocker. The Board of Regents of Texas and Oklahoma unanimously voted to formally accept invitations to join the SEC. That was all done. Man, that news broke and is, yeah, we'll apply, we'll accept you, we'll vote to go in. Boom, boom, boom. And Utes, you were wrong for celebrating Sugar and Fiesta because you weren't in a playoff. So it really didn't matter. The most they were allowed to do. As are uh, so many teams except for four. (laughs) So whoever wins the Rose Bowl this year, you shouldn't celebrate. Because apparently that wasn't the most you were allowed to do. But yet it was. Try to figure that one out. The NCAA Board of Governors on Friday called for a constitutional convention in November. Man, that sounds important. First step towards launching dramatic reform and how the sprawling multi-billion dollar enterprise of college sports is governed for years to come. The NCAA wants to reimagine how it manages the needs of more than 450,000 athletes. The goal is to make sure we can align authority and responsibilities, get that right between campuses and conferences on the national level, NCAA President Mark Emmert said in a brief teleconference with reporters. We don't do it. Here, let's dump this stuff in your lap. You're in charge. I'm tired of this. We'll be putting on championships. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. And there's a swing and there's a high fly ball deep right field. Going back is Bowers at the wall. That ball is history. Jonah Heim has done it again. A walk-off home run for the second day in a row. And the Rangers have won it 4-3. Fastball driven right. Will it go? Yes, it will. Brian Goodwin with the bat flip and a bottom of the ninth game-winning home run for the White Sox. Highlights from Major Major League Baseball. Brian Goodwin, one out bottom of the ninth, giving the White Sox the 2-1 win over the Cleveland Indians. The Chicago Cubs players have left town and done quite well, PK. Wherever they go, they seem to hit home runs. That's how they, they make their debut. Chris Bryant... Did it on Sunday three times in three days. He had a two-out solo homer in the third. Giants beat the Astros 5-3. to three. And in addition to that, uh, 
Rizzo homered in his first at bat for the Yankees, and Baez homered in his first at bat for the Mets. Craig Krimbell didn't do it. <laughs> Relief pitcher. <laughs> we don't expect it from him. Was he allowed to hit? Oh, again, back to that allowed stuff. Yes, you can't hit a home run if you don't go to the plate. <laughs> and, of course, Elias Sports Bureau has the research that says they're the first trio of ex-teammates in the modern era to start the season on the same team and then homer in their respective debuts with a new club. How about the old era? Don't know about that. They don't repeat on that. They don't report on that. Just the modern era, just since 1900. Don't know what went down in the 1800s. Third time is that going to be the charm for Fernando Tatis Jr. Shoulder surgery. If he gets it, it's season ending. He's on the 10-day injured list. He partially dislocated his left shoulder, sliding into third base against the Colorado Rockies. Seems like a trick shoulder, and that's happening all the time. Mets did not sign right-hander Kumar Rocker, the 10th overall pick in the amateur draft before yesterday's signing deadline. Mets reportedly had concerns over the health of the former Vanderbilt star pitching arm, but his agent Scott Boris said Rocker's arm is healthy and he wants the money. Don't expect Scott Boris to say anything else. Okay, I don't understand this. If you had concerns, why the Why'd hell did you use the 10th overall pick on him? Yeah. Doesn't make any sense to me either. I got nothing for you there. Bees lost both games of their doubleheader in Albuquerque. Teams will square off again tonight at 6.35. Coverage at 6.15. With Steve Klocky hey, right here on this 12 of the zone. tough to win in the pit, man. <laughs> That's not where they play. But that would be awesome. <laughs> Baseball's just Stone throwing around the pit. Yeah, it's right across the street. <laughs> DJ and PL, what do we got for a baseball update? Where's that game now? 6-5 to five in the 8th inning, Team USA leading Japan. All right, there it is. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. Acosta hooks it into the traffic. A free header and it's a goal. The United States has scored. Miles Robinson. Here's the teenager Gianluca Buzio battling in the corner. Joachini's in there as well. That's it. The United States has done it. They've won the gold cup. U.S. beating Mexico for the second time this summer in a tournament final, winning the gold cup on Miles Robinson's goal late in extra time. The U.S. women's national team, not so fortunate. Beaten by Canada earlier this morning in the semifinals of the Olympics. They're going to play for the bronze medal. Shutout three times in these games. RSL, dueling shutouts in Houston. <laughs> nil, nil, PK. The theme here with soccer. <laughs> oh, Lack game, of other scoring. Games, other games had goals and winners. That game oh, had people pinging the frame. Uh, you're a defender of soccer because you went up there one time at Rice Eccles. We know the story, and I interrupted you, blah, blah, blah. RSL is back in action Wednesday night against action? the Galaxy zero, in zero? Los Angeles. It'll be a lot of running. Miles will be covered. And I don't... I don't know. You think they're going to get a third straight shutout? Three in a row? Chances apparently are better than even (laughs) that they will. (laughs) What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. We're talking NBA free agency this morning. It kicks off today, 4 o'clock Mountain Time. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk, joins us at 8.05 to forecast what may or may not go down. 
We will talk with him then. Your advice for the Jazz. What to do with Mike Conley? How much to offer him? We will get to that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. The general manager for the Utah Jazz, Justin Zanuck. Is it safe to say that you are going to make re-signing Mike Conley a priority? Certainly, we value Mike and what he's meant to our team. Obviously, I can't comment on how things will roll out. However, we do have a plan in place. We love him. Each move that you guys see that comes out, whether it's a draft pick, a trade, a signing, I know there's this urge to have like a hot take, but evaluating those in a silo is tough. In a couple weeks, you look back and look at it in its entirety of what we needed to do and what we were able to execute on. I think the bigger picture becomes more clear. That picture is not completed yet with a few more stages we have to go here. We have a plan, and hopefully we'll get it done. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Summer Games Update brought to you by Zero Res. Your pets are angels, but urine-soaked carpet is a nightmare for your house. Zero Res has a special method to remove stains that leaves your carpet clean and smelling fresh. Schedule your appointment with Zero Res Carpet Cleaning today. That's Zero Res. ZeroResSaltLake.com. Up north, it's ZeroDavisWeber.com. Call them at 801-288-9376. Free agency starts tonight at 4 o'clock, and reports have the Jazz offering Mike Conley three years and 60 or $75 million. What would you offer? PK, a lot of comedy here. Uh, a lot of intended. They think they're funny. Again, Matt Matt says free meals for two years. Again, only your wife thinks you're funny. Rick says no less than $60. And we know you think you know ball because you played it in the church gym since you were in the seventh grade and you found somebody who's going to laugh at you so you think you're funny. Heidi says, the door. <laughs> and go apologize to Derek and plead for him to come back because we had a moment of insanity. Really? It's, a, it's funny how people get so attached to players. And Favors is one of them. It, the amount of connection to Derek Favors... Is unusual. As a backup center. (laughs) And in 15 minutes, and he wants to be here, and he's a black guy, so that gives you some credibility. And I know I'm the only one who's going to mention that. But, I mean, they they feel like there's that connection. But what did he really do? Is he the difference between winning and losing? Is he, as a backup center, I mean, I don't have any problem with him. But, I mean, I'm... There was a time I thought he was guaranteed minutes, and I said, well, should he be guaranteed minutes? And I was told to stick it on the air because of the connection to Derek Favors. And now management is over the connection to Derek Favors. Twice. Yep. (laughs) I don't understand this love affair with Derek Favors to where you're just almost heartbroken that he's not on the team anymore. Longest guy in terms of uh, service. No one's been a jazz man further back than him, even with the year away. And he wanted to be here. So badly he came back a second time. Rejection, man. Do you want your team to be better? Well, if you do, then you need to move on from Derek on that contract. If you're on a different contract, you might not need to move on. Well, But on that contract, for the minutes he's playing and the money he's getting, it's not a surprise it went the way it did. And would you rather 
O'Neal, Clarkson, Ingles, Bogdanovich. Hey, hey, watch your mouth. <laughs> Obviously, for the money they're getting, which is in the same ballpark, Royce yeah. is getting a little less. Uh, Bogey's getting a lot more. I, I kind of feel like Bogey's up in a in another class, but you know, Joe was making about four million more. He's the most dispensable guy. Yep, that's what it boils down to. Yep. Now, would you rather have Conley over Favors? Apparently, this lady I already forgot her name. Uh, thinks, Heidi Heidi thinks that she would rather have Favors over Conley. The door. That seems harsh. Scott says uh, offer him between ten and thirteen million a year for two years. He sits too often. Now, you believe that's a critical flaw of Mike Conley, don't you? The most important ability is availability. So it's a critical flaw. Sounds harsh, but I'll go with it. Well, that's yes, what, that's what you, if you had don't play. For, if uh, you don't Tatiste, play, yeah, you tweeted you that. If you don't play. The only flaw of Tatis is a critical flaw. Yeah. Those are your words. I'm afraid he's not going to be there for the postseason. Which this is year. exactly right this year, which is exactly what just happened with Conley and the just completed. Okay. Difference year. being he's 22 years old. Yes. And the other guy's 30. Can have shoulder and get the surgery fixed. Yeah. 33. Yeah. So I feel like they're going to have to wrap him in bubble wrap in the regular season, play him 50 games maybe, and then hope he stays healthy in the postseason. The problem is that uh, in baseball you can get around it because you can just keep piling salary on. There's no salary cap, luxury tax, and if they lose Conley, they can't replace him. Now that they've weighed Matt Thomas, they can't. (laughs) (laughs) I missed you. (laughs) (laughs) Jared Monson wants to play him 250 grand per each game played. Not the way it works. No, it's not. That'd be $20 million a year if he played 80 games. Matt Thomas wanted to be here. Yeah, just well, as much as Derek Favors wanted to be here. <laughs> but yet we just discard Matt Thomas yeah. as who cares human being. Never bonded with him. Sorry. Because we weren't allowed. Back to the word allowed. Yeah. The word allowed is going to be big today. I can already He would have stayed. But much like they did with Favors, no, you're out. It's a cold world. It's a cold studio, too. It really is. <laughs> they could save some money on air conditioning. <laughs> they could. <laughs> Phil says, I mean, in comparison to Alonzo Ball, Alonzo's singing four years, $80 million, and uh, he's skilled and a hell of a lot younger. But $5 million less per season for what the Jazz are offering Conley on this rumor. Mm, similar stats comparing the two. Uh, I think the stat you're skipping there is uh, the shooting percentage stats. Is Lonzo shooting it that well? Oh, he got a lot better this year. But why are we comparing him? Why, what's the point of bringing his name up? Uh, guard, looking for a multi-years, multi-millions, I guess. So you're saying go after him? Is that what you'd rather have Lonzo I think Phil Ball? wasn't so much doing that. He was more comparing the stats and trying to slot guys. I'd rather have Lonzo Ball over Mike Conley, too. Lonzo's 23 and healthy. He has time to develop, as Phil points out. And he did get a lot better this last season. Conley is 10 years older and father time is creeping. Yeah, and in 10 years there'll be somebody else and you will say I'd rather have that player X over Lonzo Ball because Lonzo Ball will be in his mid-30s and it's the way it works. Justin says, I love Conley, but he can't play back-to-backs and not having him play killed us in the playoffs. Are there no younger options? 
Yes, they're younger options. Are there better options? Well, especially because you would have to give up another player to go get them. You're going to trade for one of those younger options? You can't just pocket Mike's money and then use it on the free agent market. So you could not sign Mike and then trade one of the multiple guys you just listed and get somebody. But your team's gotten thinner. I mean, the big thing that's happening here is the rookie contract is over for Donovan Mitchell, and he's now getting paid big, big money. And that, along with the big money that Rudy Gobert is making, vaults you, uh, <laughs> most of your money is spent. So what are you going to do? Well, what do you mean most of your money is spent? I mean, Zanuck said on Thursday, Ryan's resources and commitment to spending are going to be at levels that we've never done with the Jazz. And what I think that means is that they're going to sign Conley, and it's going to be a number that's going to have us talking when we hear it, and they're going to go out and use the mid-level exception. And with the tax they're going to have to pay because they did both those things after they signed two All-Stars to mega deals, it's going to be a big number. Well, that's what it costs to win. A big number, right. But when you have that number, you can't, I mean, if they let Conley go, they can't use that money to go sign a free agent. Well, it depends on what the free agent wants. Okay. In a similar financial neighborhood. You're right. They could go use it to sign a free agent to a minimum deal. But you assume that if you sign someone on a minimum deal, you're getting a fraction of the talent. Yeah, but you just told me availability is the most important. So if I get somebody who plays 82 and is healthy in the playoffs, is that better than Conley, who won't come close to playing 82, and we don't know his availability in the playoffs? I think they're going to roll the uh, roll the dice on Conley being available in the playoffs. I mean, if he can't play in the playoffs, then that's going to be a problem. Yeah. But they're going to roll the dice on him being available for the playoffs. Well, sure, it looks like that, but should they? Let me fast forward and see if he's actually available for the playoffs. <laughs> well, then that's you're not that's not a roll the dice if you already know the answer. If I know what the number's going to be, I would know whether to bet on it or not. Then then it's not that's not called betting. Scott says three years and sixty million sounds good. It would sound good to me. Sound good to you. You couldn't say yes fast enough. Yeah, but, but here's a guy who signed a hundred and fifty two million dollar contract in twenty sixteen. He's probably so, not so out of money. What, what the hell's another sixty million? I mean, it's not that. Is it really going to make a difference? And go back to what I said earlier. Does that really matter? Does he care? I mean, he cares. That's probably a wrong thing to say, but does it make that big of a difference in his life? I mean, when you got your own gym, full size on your property. All right. You, you, you're not, you've got you got pretty much all the toys you want. You're not hurting for yeah. money either way. But that's not to say he shouldn't go get more. I mean, I'd, it's about respect too, and all that BS that they manage to say when that means they're filthy rich. Brian says we've had Conley in a bubble year, an abbreviated condensed season. We've not had him in a year where things are more normal. I think this will be a great deal. What difference does that make? Uh, I guess Brian is thinking, well, maybe the hamstrings are reacting to uh, the condensed schedule. So fewer games? It's reacting to fewer games? That doesn't make any sense to me. He did take 10 games out. 
He wasn't hurt in the bubble last year, was he? No. He just missed the game for his wife's pregnancy? Yeah. Childbirth was a just when one When he was hurt. back pretty quick, didn't he? The, yeah, when he was hurt the year before, it was uh, before the pandemic on a regular schedule. Right, but he didn't miss any playoff, and they only played one round. Right. Uh, so he didn't he miss. He left the bubble because his wife was giving birth. Yeah. And then he came racing back to get back on the floor. Right, so he missed game one. Is that it? Which they, yeah, that was it, right? I think so, yes. Yeah. So he was fine there. Yep. And so that's what they're betting on. Well, it's bad break that he had a problem in the playoffs this year, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Uh, I, yeah. The problem is if I'm paying somebody $60 million, I don't like the word bet. <laughs> I get that. I get that. You're not alone there. You are the man of the people with that take. I mean, I'm giving you just a ton of money. I want to, I want to return on it. And I don't want to have to bet on it. Travis's three years that much money is ridiculous. Why put all your eggs in one basket on a guy who can't stay healthy and is on the downside of his career? Jazz are desperate to try and win a championship that may or may not happen. It's just sad. Everybody is. How's, how are they any different? They aren't. I mean, stepping out on the court for Game 5, the Suns and the Bucks were in the may or may not happen mode. It happened for the Bucks. It didn't happen for the Suns. Don't you want your franchise to be desperate to win a title? Well, Whatever sport? I, think, I think what they want is them to be desperate to win another title. Well, but I get your point. Yeah, once you have one, you're going to want another, and you're going to. But they be don't desperate. have one. That's pointless, I though. I mean, they, they're trying to win a title. That's to be admired, not to be scorned, and say it's. What did he say at the end there? It's, it's sad. Just sad. It's sad. Actually, there's joy in Mudville. <laughs> the fact that they are desperate to try to win. That, that I couldn't disagree more with that dumb take. Stupid, stupid, stupid. On the first Monday of August, you'd think that and we've gotten past the most intense heat that we've had and your brain would start to be unfried and you'd come at us with a decent take. But no, you came at us with something entirely stupid. Travis is applauding you because he literally responded with that take. Serious, one of the dumbest comments I've ever seen. Jazz are desperate to try and win a championship that may or may not happen. Well, no duh, dude. So is every other team in the NBA, and if you want that to happen, you're more likely to do so with Conley than without. I can agree to that. Because you could go out there and find somebody young and inexpensive on the way up, but aren't they going to have to have multiple playoff failures if they are indeed even the right person who can lift their game to that level, as opposed to getting a journeyman who is pretty much what they're going to be? That's the reason they're willing to pay Conley. There's risk over here that he could miss games. But this guy over here, you don't know that given forever, and you don't have forever, but given forever, you don't know that you'd ever be able to find that gear to get it done at the highest level. Yeah, but you don't know anything, though, because if you knew it, you would do it. Right. So that, that, that applies Conley across staying, the board. I think, I think the Jazz think Conley staying healthy is more likely than them finding the needle in the haystack and... That guy in a minimum. Well, I don't know that. I mean, they, they've got the mid-level exception, and they've got some minimum stuff. So, but I think they're going to use it all the, wisely. I think they're going to use the mid-level exception on another wing player or some versatile person who can play when Rudy Gobert sits. I just want players. I don't care who they use it on. How do I know that that person isn't going to be the difference? 
because that place, that person just kicks butt. And when you look at it, if you've got something, if you've got a foundation, I could argue that Drew Holiday was the difference because they already had some foundation, obviously, in the great player in Yanni. So getting some of the Hornacek was the difference. In and of himself, he's not the difference in terms of getting them to the finals. But when you add to the puzzle, he becomes the difference in that he's able to do good things because they've already got two Hall of Famers there. So maybe they whoever they get, it doesn't have to be this person versus Conley because Conley can be replaced too. I mean, Joe, when he starts, his numbers aren't that far off from what Conley does. So then they got to go out and find yeah. another Joe to come off the bench. Whatever it might be, sure, yeah, yeah. Because he can't be that guy. Well, he's replacing this guy over here. Well, I could argue why spend the money on Conley when I know Joe can replace Conley very well. Spend the money on finding a backup like Joe, which I would assume would be easier. Well, you'll, you're going to have to do it at the minimum because you're going to be over the cap. You'll have the mid-level exception, yeah. but I think you're using that to find whoever's taking up favors well, minutes. Find the best player available, and that's, that's always been my thing. Uh, find the best player available who's willing to take your money. Uh, I mean, you drafted Azubuke for a purpose, right? So he he has no chance to take favors as minutes? That was just a waste of pick? Didn't see enough of him to say that this guy can do it this year. Uh, maybe somebody else inside the organization thinks he can. But I don't think, I don't think anybody sitting where we're sitting is counting on him to be a critical piece next year. Is 15 minutes a critical piece? I get your point. It may not be. I mean, ideally, your starters are so good. But it depends if you... The person who plays that may not be limited to 15 minutes. They may play 15 minutes over here when Rudy's off the floor and then still give you another 10 minutes alongside him when he is on the floor. Okay, and he may not be, by he definition. Not, he may not be. <laughs> but Azubuike would not be. He would just be, plug him in when Gobert's out. He's not going to play alongside Gobert. Robert says, Conley is it. We either sign him or take a step backwards. Sign him for a more normal year will be a step forwards. Can't guarantee. I get where you're going at the start, but at the end there, I can't guarantee that. Sign him for a more normal year will be a step forwards. What just because the schedule is what we know, somehow that's going to make him healthier? No, because the year before, before the pandemic hit, before everything stopped in Oklahoma City, he'd had a hamstring issue. Well, you don't have to and go the year before that. Years. You can go the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before that. I mean, no, there's no need to single out one season before the pandemic. His record is what it is, as far as durability. And I don't think it's changing. That'd be great if at 34 suddenly he became Iron Man. Step aside, Cal. I got this. Leroy says, okay, I'll do the money, but a team option on that third year would be ideal. Sure, but if somebody else guarantees him, what do you expect him to do? Take the guarantee? Yeah. That's what I'd expect. Chris says two years and forty-four million, or three at sixty with a team option after every year. Yeah, not, not, not doing the team option after every year. That's not happening. 
No, because he can probably get more. It depends on you know what is what is exactly he looking for. The most money or a championship? Well, I don't know that it's either or. Because you're you. There's no way you can guarantee that you're going to win the title. It's just not going to happen. True story. So you can't. So what's his best shot? You can, well, I don't know is what is his best shot. I mean, what, what, what is best shot? Is there a best shot? I don't know that there is a best shot. Is there a legitimate shot? Yes. Is there a best shot? I don't think there is. I think you're looking for a legitimate shot, and I think you've got a legitimate shot right here. Best shot? I mean, is best shot Milwaukee? What is best shot? I don't think best shot exists. Other shots that might be legitimate might require him to take a lot less money. Is Phoenix the best shot? Particularly if Chris Paul signs elsewhere? That would be intriguing. Then dominoes would start falling. Well, they always will. You know, we see that. It's, we do. You're right. It's how it works. Now, they've changed management, and then it gives you an idea of what the NBA and pro sports is about, but they've changed management drastically since the Gordon Hayward thing. And Yeah, new ownership, and Dennis Lindsay isn't calling the shots in the front office. So, yeah. That's and Steve Starks change. isn't there. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And those guys had said... They weren't going to be last anymore in their own free agents. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing that they learned. Because it, they'd have guys, I don't know they'd still be on the team, but at the time, Gallinari was very interested. Kyle Lowry was very interested. And a much younger Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. And they felt like, you know. They felt they, like they could have jumped into that pool, yeah. hit, and signed somebody. Right. And they would have. They're at, they absolutely would have, well, but they waited on Hayward over here, and, and then he stood him up. Everyone else, yeah, yeah. landed somewhere else, right? Like so the cupboard was bare by the mm-hmm. time they got the bad news. Yeah. So I guess the thing then is that yes, there've been a bunch of changes, but the owner was local and was a fan and was following it, and has got to be at least partially aware. And Jim Olson, who's now been elevated to president, was in the organization. And you and I both know him. He's certainly aware. And Quinn Snyder is still in the group. He's 100% aware. So, to your point, I would think that that thought still governs the way they do things. Justin Zanuck's certainly aware also. So, it's not like anybody was, I don't know, GM and coming from Atlanta or Brooklyn or someplace. You could be first, but if the other guy doesn't want to make you first, it doesn't matter what you think. True story. But they're not going to sit idly by with all the eggs in one basket. Yeah, but you I, just said that they can't a plan go B. get a player when you're no, they, they, what, so they, what they may do a problem. You're right. But what they'd have to do is, like, if this is dragging on too long, what's our biggest need? Do we use the mid-level exception here for a guard instead of using it for a backup center or a wing? How do they prioritize those three needs? 
I think the path they want to go down is, hey, we're going to pay Conley, and it's going to cost ownership a lot, but he's willing to sign off on it. It's going to put us way in the luxury tax, but he's willing to do it. So we're going to take care of one need there. Now we're going to use the mid-level exception, and they got the other things ranked. Who's willing they, to do it? I think Ryan is. Isn't that that quote okay, you shared okay, earlier? Okay, I didn't know you meant Conley was willing to do it or the owner. Okay. Yeah. I want to clarify. The owner is willing to gotcha. go deep into luxury tax gotcha. and write a ginormous check. Uh-huh. And so they're going to prioritize. So for the guard need, they're going to take Conley, the, the money uh-huh. they can pay Conley because yeah. he's their own guy, and they can go over the cap. Yeah. Use a middle-level exception. And then sign a bunch of rookie deals or f- a bunch of veteran exception, minimum uh, veteran deals. minimums or or rookie deals. Yeah, yeah, wherever they think the talent is. Uh-huh. Yeah. If they don't hit on Conley, then they got to prioritize their need on the guard line. And you're right. What they may decide to do is, hey, Joe's going to get more minutes, and we have really got to bring in someone who play a lot of minutes as a wing guy because Joe's going to be over here absorbing Conley's minutes. Someone's got to absorb the minutes Joe was playing, and so. That, that's the other way to play it. But with the mid-level exception, again, you can get outbid. So it's a little risky there. But to your point about a legitimate chance of the championship, and the thing we always talk about is who's willing to come to Utah, regardless of what happens with Conley. When they offer a player the mid-level exception, and if somebody else is offering the mid-level exception, the money's the same, what do they opt for? Do they opt for a place where uh, it's close to the home, a place they've already been, they're familiar with, a relationship with a coach, relationships with a teammate? Or they look at Utah and think, yeah, I don't really know what's on the other side of the country, and I've heard a bunch of bad things about it. But I've also got a couple of people who are there who I know telling me how to give it a shot, and it looks like, here we go, they have a legitimate shot at a title. And then will that person jump? Because I think all those discussions about, hey, you and Dennis, and now you and Justin can recruit people here. This mid-level exception, this is where, when the money's the same, what do people really want to do? And can you talk them into it? Will they come here? Because they look at Donovan, and they look at Rudy, and they look at the rest of the roster and think, hey, there's a shot. All right, DJ and PK. Coming up, Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. We'll run all this by him at 8.05, 15 minutes away. Stay with us. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. You know I was babysat until 8th grade. Dolores Arnold used to babysit me every day after school. And Dolores? her husband. Yeah. Look how you got like 220 pound 8th grade hands. <laughs> Can we not focus room? on that? You're like, hey Dolores. Hi Hans. I think it's funny the thought of a 8th grade Hans Olsen probably pushing two bills. <laughs> sitting in and being babysat. You guys let me know when you're done <laughs> so I can finish my story. Tell us more about Dolores. Anyways, her husband, Don, liked MASH. Sitting next to Don on the couch watching MASH. Hey, (laughs) Don, can I borrow your shaver? (laughs) Catch Hans and Scotty every day. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by SNS Roofing, your locally owned roof repair experts for a free quote and for all your roofing needs. Call SNS Roofing. So, PK, there was a lot of flooding yesterday, and you and I both got to drive in it. That was a good time. You were at the epicenter, I think, the worst of the worst. Many people have horrible stories, but from what I've been able to gather, Cedar City had it worst. Not to minimize. How terrorized anybody else was, but that stuff out of Cedar City, that was horrific. That's the only place I saw a car just basically swallowed up. Okay. 
So what'd you what'd you see? We were proceeding northbound. Ah, nice. <laughs> the suspect was proceeding northbound. And I definitely am a suspect. I am suspect, that's for sure. Uh, we left St. George about uh, 3.15 and got up just north of Cedar City, just maybe a couple of miles there. And all of a sudden, man, it starts raining and the, the uh, hail is boom, boom. And next thing you know, you're stopped, dead stopped on the freeway. And you look over to your right, and there's these little hills. And you see this water just hauling, screaming down these hills. And it's coming right for the freeway. And you're not going anywhere. You're stopped. And you look, and you see this water just really racing right toward you. So... Everybody, including myself, cuts across the median because you see this water coming and you don't know what's going to happen. And it's really racing hard. You know, we've all seen those pictures of water flowing at just rapid speeds. And it's coming from multiple areas. It's coming from the north to the south and it's coming from the east to the west. Right. And we're in the northbound lane. So we cut across the median just like everybody else did and pulled in, got off the, so now we're going south, got off the exit and went around to a gas station and waited it out for about 45 minutes. I actually fell asleep. I was, I got really tired and fell asleep, reclined the chair. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're sleeping through this one. Yeah. So we, I fell asleep probably about a half hour. Uh, and then it was about 4.30, and the sun was out. And then they have that, I think, r- r- Road 91 you could take, which runs parallel to the freeway. Mm-hmm. But there was a sheriff's, and it was coned off. And you had the siren, or the, the lights, lights going. going. Yes. That's kind of a sign that yeah. this is not a good plan. And you could right see now. people were getting off the freeway and going around the gas station and try to go there. But he's, the police, is, he's they're, they're standing there, right. so no one's going through. So then we took... Um, I think it was Highway 130. Highway 130? Yeah, Road 130. Not a highway, whatever you call it. And uh, went, so this is just a couple miles north of Cedar City, went north, uh, a little west and north, and then come back east. And you got back just north of the Creamery and Beaver. And so then you go underneath the freeway because there was no exit, go into town on Main Street, turn left to go north. Oh, wow. That's a little state route. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it reminded me, so we're way back there. You're way back on the west side of 15. Way west. Yeah. Way, way west. Yeah. Yeah. 10, 15, 20 miles in some spots. Yeah. And we're back. And you got up to Minersville and you hung a right and headed back to Beaver and rejoined I-15. And there's a little dink town, Minersville. Yeah. Very, very, very small. And it reminded me of the drive that I would make from Spokane to Pullman with the rolling hills and all. Mm. Cause it was, and there was nothing there, mm-hmm. and so it just reminded me. Was of it that still drive. pouring at that point? No. Oh, you got through the worst of it. Yeah, we waited it out, but, okay. and and so waited it out, and then got on, and then when we got close here to along the Wasatch Front, it started raining like crazy again, but nothing like it was in Cedar, where the the it's clearly water is coming right at you, and if you don't do something, 
something could be wrong here. So I've just retweeted while you were telling that story some of the video that the weather guys at Channel 2 had tweeted out, Chase Thomason had tweeted out, and one of them is that the car with the, uh, it looks like a maybe a horse trailer, or some, some type of trailer, not a horse trailer, but some kind of trailer, and it just gets swallowed up. Yeah, there was about five minutes there where I was getting very, very nervous. Uh, and then I just saw everybody just cut across the median, and I did the same. Yep. We're out of here. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports, pro basketball talk, all about free agency. Who's going where? Who's re-upping? How do the dominoes fall? We'll get to that next. DJ and PK, it is time to talk NBA free agency with Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports, pro basketball talk. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dan, good morning. Hey, how are you doing? We're doing well. None of us are going to fall into a multi-million dollar deals today, though, so we're a little disappointed by that. What about you? You got anything lined up? You know, you never... You never know. Free agency doesn't open until uh, 6 Eastern, and we'll see what happens. Okay. So uh, what is the number one storyline? Where is the most drama in your mind? Well, you know, you, you can go a couple different ways. Kawhi Leonard probably will stay with the Clippers, but the chance he does anything is so important, right? If he changes teams, it changes the entire league. I'm not sure there's another free agent out there who has that power. So even the low odds of him moving, uh, you still have to keep an eye on that. Uh, there's a lot of drama around uh, Kyle Lowry. It does seem like a sign-and-trade to the Heat is likely, but you never know. Uh, nothing is technically allowed to be set yet. A lot of teams are interested in Lowry. Everybody saw that he was attainable. Uh, most free agents end up re-signing with their prior team, uh, and so it seems like that wasn't happening with Lowry. So a lot of teams were interested. And then the next question is, if that Lowry signing trade to the Heat does happen, how do these other teams pivot? How do the Pelicans pivot? How do the Mavericks pivot? Uh, you know, where do they go? They've got the money to spend. If they wanted Lowry, who are their plan Bs? Uh, and then how does all that trickle down? What do you think the Jazz could have available to them as far as the mid-level exception? Yeah, so some of this is going to depend on how willing they are to spend it. It does look likely the Jazz will resign Mike Conley. Uh, that's going to put the team uh, into the luxury tax. Obviously, the mid-level exception would put them even further into the luxury tax. Uh, you know, I think after trading Derek Favors, Jazz needs some help at center. Uh, I really like Nerlens Noel. I think he's perpetually underrated. Uh, you know. Probably available for the mid-level exception. I'm not sure he's the very best fit in Utah, uh, but he would allow the Jazz to have a more versatile defender in some ways uh, behind Rudy Gobert. Uh, maybe uh, somebody like Rudy Gay uh, could be a super small ball backup center, a very different option. Obviously, he could play with Rudy Gobert and prove that, that forward depth, too. Somebody like that could make sense. What do you think about uh, Olenek? Yeah, uh, makes sense fit-wise. Uh, the Jazz are a team trying to win a championship, obviously, and I, I have some questions about uh, if Kelly Olynyk will find matchups where he's a good enough defender in the playoffs. He might just get deep into the playoffs and say, oh, no, like we cannot play Kelly Olynyk," uh, and that would obviously be a disaster. The Jazz need to find somebody who fits best in the playoffs. Uh, that should be the goal. 
Given the fact that they are so far over the cap and into the tax, and, and we're going under the assumption here of what you said, that Conley resigns here, the Jazz need someone to take the minutes when Gobert sits that used to go to favors. But I think after the playoffs, the Jazz feel like, uh, certainly Jazz fans feel like the team needs another wing player. Which one of those is more important? Because when you talk about Nerlens Noel, he doesn't shoot the three. He's just going to play when, when Gobert sets. Some of the other guys you mentioned, eh, maybe they could provide both in a kind of a small ball matchup. Yeah, I mean, that's the dream. That's why I mentioned Rudy Gobert as somebody, who, or not, excuse me, not Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gay, uh, as somebody who could maybe do both. But it's hard to find somebody who can do both uh, credibly. Kelly Olynyk is one of those guys who could maybe do both, but I also think might wind up doing neither. Uh, I do think uh, that backup center is probably the bigger thing as long as that player can play in the playoffs. Because Rudy Gobert, he can't play 48 minutes. That's going to be a big hole. I think we've seen with the uh, 76ers uh, at times without Joel Embiid, uh, that's when they lose games. Uh, They've dominated with Joel Embiid on the court in the playoffs, and he sits for a few minutes, and that's why they lose. And you don't want to be in that boat. Uh, the Jazz absolutely could use another wing. That would help them a lot in the playoffs. It is a big need. It's not that far behind uh, backup center. But you can manage your rotation in ways uh, where that's not a huge liability. Backup center could be a huge liability. So a lot of times the way this free agency works in general is they wait for one or two top dogs to fo- uh, decide and figure out where they're going to go, and then other guys start to see movement or after that and get slotted in wherever they might fit in the grand scheme of things. But I'm wondering <clears throat> this year, with this Ben Simmons stuff out there, does it make it a little different in terms of teams weren't really sure how everything is going to f- play out until or if he's traded? Uh, to a degree, for certain teams, like let's say, uh, I don't know if the Knicks have interest in him in particular. There's Damian Lillard out there too. Um, where I, I think a team like the Knicks that has a lot of cap space has some draft assets after the Kristaps uh, Porzingis trade. Um, depends what you think of their young players. I think opinions vary on them, uh, but they're going to face some choices where, hey, do we want to keep our flexibility, our assets open, or? Do we want to try and maximize our team? We just had a good year, made the playoffs for the first time in a while, and uh, you know we ca- they have the cap space to become even better next year. But if you use that cap space, uh, maybe it's on players the 76ers don't want. Maybe it's on players the Trailblazers don't want. Then you muck up your flexibility. So I think there are going to be some select teams that face those decisions. Uh, but for most teams, they I don't know what you'd do otherwise, right? You can't just wait on the chance of a Damian Lillard trade. It doesn't sound like any Ben Simmons trades are close with what Philly's offering. Uh, you know, if you're a team that thinks, oh, you know, we're right there on Ben Simmons, we just gotta gotta get these negotiations done, then yeah, you'll probably wait on free agents because you don't want to screw it up. I don't think there's that team that's close. The Lakers took their shot with Westbrook. Are you putting them at the top of the West, or is this a horse race and everybody's got a shot coming down the stretch? I think it's pretty open. I'm I'm not a big fan of what Russell Westbrook brings to that team. There are pauses, no question. The Lakers can win the championship. They are a contender. They're in the mix. 
But the floor spacing uh, with Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, I don't like it one bit. They have a chance to address it. They can get good shooters around them. Uh, but once you have those three on the court, you can only do so much uh, in those other two slots, especially if Anthony Davis uh, doesn't want to play center. Or, uh, w- w- you know, I do believe uh, he faces greater injury risk at center with all, all the physical pounding at that position. So there's a risk there, right? But if you bring in another center, oh, my goodness, the spacing is going to be be tough. Russell Westbrook uh, does not defend well. Uh, he's very active, uh, but he, his defense isn't actually good. Maybe he'd be better in a better environment. Maybe he'd be more committed. Uh, but we've had a long career of where he's at to know uh, that hasn't happened before. So that seems pretty unlikely to me. But we have LeBron James. We have Anthony Davis. Russell Westbrook is very talented. does a lot of good things on the court. Uh, they have a chance. Uh, but I'd probably put a, the Jazz ahead of them in the pecking order. How much interest do you think Chris Paul is going to get around the league? It should be a ton. I, I hear some of these uh, contract numbers float from three years, ninety million, three years, a hundred million, and I'm wondering, like, why isn't the team offering more? Uh, why isn't there pressure on Phoenix to offer the very most uh, they can offer? You know, he, he's still an excellent player. There's risk about how he ages over his next contract. And once he gets to mid thirty, signing a three or the Suns could even sign him to a four-year contract. Uh, there's a lot of danger on the back end, but he's so good right now. We saw that last season. I think a lot of teams uh, should want him on their team, and uh, I, I don't know why he's not getting even more, even though I, I understand he's getting a historic amount for a player his age. So do you see anything that's really changing the balance of power in the West that is either has happened or is about to happen, or are we going to have a similar storyline to what we had this past year? And it's going to feel wide open. I think it's going to feel pretty open. Uh, you know, <laughs> balance of power, uh, one of the biggest things that's happened is Kawhi Leonard getting hurt. We still don't know many details of how long he'll be out. That type of injury can vary. Uh I don't know if we'll ever get those types of details, uh, but that you know obviously changes whether the Clippers are probably, in my mind, the top uh, championship contender in the West, or whether they're not really in championship contention. So, so that's a pretty big swing there. Uh, but because these top teams in the West have already uh, used so much of their flexibility, their rosters seem fairly set. I think otherwise it's headed that way unless something crazy happens with Chris Paul, uh, but I'm not expecting that. So you're saying you expect the Suns uh, the Suns then to get Chris Paul back? I do. That seems most likely at, at, at this point. Uh, you know, he opted out, uh, so it'd be on a new contract. That's how they'd structure it. Uh, it just seems all the momentum is that way. But he is a free agent. Other teams can get involved. Anything can happen. Uh, so, you know, it's it's not a lock, uh, but I think it's far more likely than not. Is Dallas going to put anyone alongside Luka Doncic that is going to vault them into the top tier with everybody else? So I, I do think they will get there into a championship contender. I guess I'm just kind of assuming they're going to get somebody. I don't think they were that far off uh, last year. They played the Clippers very hard, very well. Uh, Luka Doncic is obviously growing. Like I'm just kind of projecting them uh, taking that next step. So being, I'd say uh, on the lower end of that championship contender tier, uh, I don't know who they're going to get, but they've got so much cap space that I, I just figure they're going to bolster the roster somehow, and they don't need a ton to get to the lower end of championship contention. Uh, you know, they need to strike big to, to really move up there, but just to get them in the conversation, they don't need much. 
The Clippers obviously are a lot of talk regarding uh, Kawhi Leonard, but they all got. They also have Batum. I'm not sure I'm really sold on him as somebody who can really help your team, but nevertheless, he's out there. What type of interest do you think he'll get throughout the league? I guess I'm a little higher on him uh, than you are. I, I, I like how he plays. Uh, he's a, a smart, unselfish player. Can be, uh, defend, can play on both ends. I think that's a big thing in the playoffs. A lot of times in the playoffs, it becomes about your weakness. Uh, other teams will exploit your weakness. Well, Batum doesn't really have a weakness. He's a, he's a nice, solid, all-around player. If you're a little stronger, I'd like him a lot for the Jazz, for what we were talking about, somebody who can bridge that gap and be a small ball five and be that forward Utah needs. Uh, he wouldn't be the worst option in that role by any means. Uh, if the Jets could get him, uh, I'd like him a lot more than other players that are probably available if you're only spending the mid-level exception or even only a portion of the mid-level exception. But a lot of teams will be interested in him because he's that smart, all-around veteran player uh, that fits in anywhere. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk, joining us. So the Warriors, are they going to make any moves, or are we basically looking at the core of who they are? And if so, how well do those pieces fit together? It doesn't sound like they're going to do anything. I don't know what's available to them, so it's always tough to criticize the team for not making a trade. But it seems to me they should probably make a trade. Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson – uh, at least if he's healthy on Clay Thompson, are really good and they fit amazing together. Teams could use more help. These guys are getting older. Their championship window is still open, if only just a crack. To me, you got to do everything you can to maximize that. You don't want to waste a year where Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and maybe Clay Thompson are still in their primes uh, because you have some younger players. It's tough. I don't know what's available to them, and maybe there isn't that trade out there, uh, but I think they could find something. I don't know how much you follow college basketball, but Baylor won it all last year, obviously. And the Jazz got a player who played a pretty good role for Baylor in this Butler kid. Do you think they found something? I do. I I like him. Uh, I I had him rated in the mid-first round. Now, there are some health issues. He got red flagged in the pre-draft process, then cleared. So I don't really know what to make of that. Uh, I do kind of wonder whether that's why he fell or if there's something else in his game that I'm missing. If it's, you know, uh, the health issues, then you never know, right? Teams have more access uh, to, to health info than I do, and so can project better there. Uh, but it's hard to imagine he had something where he was cleared, where he wasn't a good bet at number 40. Uh, a, a nice, skilled guard. Uh, he can shoot. He can play inside a little. Uh, you know, he, he could fit into the Jazz rotation sooner than later. I, I never want to project rookies for much of a big role, but maybe maybe uh, later in the year, maybe next year, uh, maybe even sooner, right? I mean, some rookies every once in a while uh, exceed expectations, and I think to have a player you get in the second round with even a chance of cracking the rotation of a championship-caliber team, that's a home-run pick. Well, I think a lot of us are assuming that Mike Conley is going to play 50 to 60 regular season games if he's got to step into the rotation for 25-ish games, give or take a little bit. Can he do that? Maybe. Uh, rookie, rookies tend not to be good. I think people tend to overrate rookies there. They often don't really understand how to contribute to winning at the NBA level. Uh, but again, just to have a chance of that happening with somebody you pick at number 40 uh, is pretty good. Almost every other number 40 pick, you say, well, nope, he's going to need more time uh, to, to help a team as good as Utah. Not happening this year. No way. 
And so we're, we're even talking about the possibility. That, that bodes well. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. Dan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for hopping on with us. Thanks for having me. So free agency, a lot of money spent, but the balance of power only tweaked. No major shocks to it if Kawhi Leonard stays with the Clippers. But in a year where there wasn't much separation, tweaking could be really important. Yeah, but how many times has free agency changed the balance of power? I think you have to include other acquisitions, put it all in the same pot. True story. So it's not just specifically free agency. If you sign a decent player, but you make an important trade... Right, and, and the thing is that I just don't think there are that many years where we can say there's so many teams bunched so close together, all with a chance to win if everything goes right, and everything doesn't go right. Teams get eliminated, injuries crush you. There's disappointments. Guys don't. Well, perform. LeBron's gotten older, and that is a positive not, for everybody who's not the Lakers. Not that he's any. He may may not be as productive, but he certainly is very much so as far as productivity I, goes. But if he has an injury, he's probably going to take longer. And you have Anthony Davis, who's brittle. Yes. And I get the the takes on Westbrook, and, and Locke will come on and tell us how inefficient he is, but he provides a lot of energy for a team that mm-hmm. may need that. And I get energy. the whole spacing thing. I just wonder how much of the load he can carry and keep the Lakers in games so that LeBron can finish them in the fourth quarter and LeBron doesn't have to carry the load because he's older. He didn't do much in Washington carrying whatever. They didn't win a lot of games. I mean, energy, just drink five Red Bulls for each player there. I mean, (laughs) I want production, not just energy. PK's halftime talk. (laughs) Red Bulls, let's go. You got to have production. Does he fit? These things are puzzles. I mean, all sports are puzzles, but basketball, well, you can argue, is one of the, if he, not the biggest puzzle piece that you have in terms of making guys fit. And does he fit? That What 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 does he provide as far as three-point shooting? Kick not, it out to Westbrook. Yes! Right, no, if I'm the right. defense, yes! Don't, don't rush out there, guys. He wants to drive by you. Shoot all you uh, want from out there until you prove that you can make it. Easy on that close out there, guys. I mean, I mean he's a dynamic player, but they already got... LeBron James, and he's very dynamic too. And does, does the pieces do the pieces fit? It doesn't seem on the surface that this pieces fit. He's a big name, and he's electric, and he's worth watching. He's fun to watch. He plays angry and all that stuff. But does the, the I don't think that the pieces don't necessarily fit. But do they fit to the point where women the Lakers are the team to beat? I don't see that. Well, then it's, you circle right back to the pieces fit a lot better if LeBron and AD are healthy and ready to dominate. Yeah, then Westbrook doesn't need to do as much. Right. He's a player. He's not necessarily a big-time player. If those two guys got it going on, well, they're a contender. And until I see otherwise, I haven't seen I, you know, he LeBron's going to be, what, 37? But it's not like I've seen major cracks. The only major cracks I've seen is lack of health. With, and he missed a bunch of games, and obviously Anthony Davis and the team doesn't have enough good players around them. So that's why, as we related to the Jazz, which our listeners care about, that's why you bring back Conley and you try another time. The thing about it, you know, it does make me a little nervous uh, that you you ex- extend him for three years. Where are you in three years? I get that. 
But at the same time, let's worry about 21, 22. You know, down the road, if it doesn't work, uh, what do you have for it? But, you know, the team's got to try. you got to do something. You look at the Angels a decade ago, you know, signing Albert Pujols. Well, we all knew when Albert Pujols is 38, 39, it's probably not going to work that well. Well, it didn't. Now, they didn't really get a whole lot for him. But if you're an Angels fan, don't you like that they tried? And, and they did something. He was a premier player at the time. And then baseball's different because you could have the best eight-man lineup in the world. And if you don't have enough pitching, what You're difference beat. does it make? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's a different sport in that way. It's almost like two sports within one. Once, once you've watched your team try and once you've watched your team not try, no matter how frustrating it is, if they try and don't get it get done, not trying. Fielding a team that you know is not competitive the day training camp opens is not fun. It is not fun at all. So if they're trying, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar business. You hate to pat people on the back for trying. But sometimes you have to because there are people who aren't trying. And so if they sign Conley to this and in the third year it stinks, I don't know that it necessarily will, well, but just assume that, worst case scenario that it does. Well, what, what are they going to do in the interim? Think you're just going to let them walk? And, you know, Mitchell's going to be a free agent, and we already start that countdown. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because I don't want to just have a cloud. We've got enough clouds today. I don't need another cloud for four friggin' years worrying about what he's going to do. But everybody wants to win. You don't want to be in the Portland situation where you star. Uh, fortunately for them, he's playing it well. He's not demanding anything, at least publicly. But at the same time, you know, you're wasting his time here. He's a premier player, and they're not close to winning. At least this group, I see it, is close. Whether they get it done, probably not. But who knows? Maybe why can why can't you say that they can get it done? I just don't think they're that far. And signing Conley, at least for this season, with risk involved, I think clearly is the right thing to do. DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. The top sixty and sixty is back in the Zone Sports Network every day at one thirty. Hans and Scotty are announcing another member of the top sixty players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top sixty and sixty presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. PK is back. He drove through that mess in Cedar City, and that looked awful. You are returning from Southern California, where you timed a vacation around Pac-12 Media Day, as you often do. And I am curious, after spending a day hobnobbing with the rich and the famous of the Pac-12. And they with me. Did it just reinforce the thoughts you went down there with? Or did you hear something that made you think, hey, I'm taking this player, this coach, this team a little more seriously. I'm keeping an eye on them. Or conversely, oh my gosh, I had my doubts, but now I know these guys are in trouble. Well, Sun Devils suck, so that's for sure. Uh, one thing that Are you serious here, or are you just being self-deprecating? No, they don't suck. Okay. I mean, they're the same team every year. All right, they? that's what I thought. <laughs> but I just asked you, you got something. Although and the reason, the reason yeah, with ahead. them is because they've got all this swirling stuff about investigation. If you heard something that made you think, oh, boy, this really is going to mess up this season. I, no. I don't think that. In, no. the, in the immediacy, I don't know that that's that okay. big of a deal. All right, so that was self-deprecating throwaway line. Their team is their team. Right. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't understand all the angst against 
or all the praise for Herm Edwards. I mean, he's 15 and 13 against D1 competition. I mean, <laughs> They've been playing 500 ball for years, and yeah, they're playing 500 yeah, ball. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, right. But one thing that struck me, and we went through all the guys, right, and all the teams, and I researched, uh, like I always do, probably did a little bit more this year. Uh, circumstances dictated that I speak more, so I felt like I needed to be even more prepared. Uh, but one no. thing that's that I have a th- a thought that I think is might ring true, probably could ring true. We go through all these returners and and these players that we saw glimpses of last year and how they're going to be. <clears throat> but the one thing that we don't necessarily account for to the level that we should or might, because there's mystery there, is the transfer portal. And how many of these guys are going to come in and make a significant difference? It's hard to judge. Last year at this time, we're all geeked on Bentley. He didn't do much. So now we're big geek, geeked on Charlie B. All right. Uh, but what do I really know? And Howard's coming over, and I watched him play for UC Los Angeles, and he went to Oklahoma, and now he's a receiver here. And so we get caught up on these big names. And I can remember years ago here in uh, with the Utes, they had a running back from SC who transferred from SC. He's coming here. 2,000 yards, Heisman <laughs> Trophy. And I don't even remember his name. <laughs> uh, was it the kind of slender guy who was here for like seven years? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> but he didn't do a whole lot. That was a Mountain West era move, and I'm blanking on uh, his name. So my point is we get excited about these teams, and we look at coming back, but these transfer guys, we're not really sure. We think we know, but we're not sure. We're less sure because they're coming in. Some of them just coming in for one season, and then they're going to be gone. And so I'm wondering, how much will the transfer portal have a major effect? You look at the University of Arizona, right? And I was, we were down there the other day with Jake Scott, and I was saying every team in this conference has a level of expectation. Now, it's different. Some are different than others. But every team, with the exception of Arizona, should be thinking at least minimally bowl. Every team, every all the 11 other teams, if they don't make a bowl, that will be a disappointment. And to one level, I mean, obviously, if SC doesn't make it, Clay Helton's out the door, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but Oregon State and Washington no, State, State at different levels. Right? Yeah, that, that, those would probably be the two biggest reaches in my mind. But that's me sitting here inside. Mm, Colorado? Right. Well, Colorado UCLA. had that great start, and it's fool's gold if they go out and but go 4-8. But you're based on last year. I know. And I, last but year I'm still, hesitant to, they, to make proclamations. I get that, but inside a building after that, you won games, you expect to yeah, win but games Yeah, again. but yet Sam Noyer leaves. He's their quarterback. He's second team all-conference, and he leaves, Huge and he hit. goes to Oregon yep. State. Now, Oregon's home for him. And so what does that mean? So Oregon State is getting a transfer. So it works both ways. You get a you can get a transfer, but you can also lose somebody to transfer. You know, and Howard's going to come in here for a receiver, but yet Thompson every year we're looking for him to explode and we're thinking, "All right." And then he leaves and he goes down to Tempe. What's he going to do there? So that's something that the Devils get somebody 
and the Utes lose somebody, but yet they get another guy to replace him, but how good is he going to be? And you look at Arizona, they had 16 kids transfer out, including their quarterback, but they had nine transfer in. And you get kids from Michigan and Notre Dame, you start thinking, oh man, they're from there and you're going to come here? Well, surely you'll be able to play. I don't think Arizona is going to go 0-12. Who are they going to beat? I don't think they're going to go 0-9. Who are they going to beat? They're going to beat somebody. They're going to surprise somebody. It's not out of the realm. So there's so much unknown. Then you throw in the transfer deal. What do we really know about these running backs from Oklahoma and LSU that the Utes have? All right, that's Oklahoma and LSU, man. That sure catches your eye, right? And are they going to be able to do it? Are they that good? They just didn't get a chance. I mean, that, that those two programs have premium talent. We know that. So are these kids Curry and Pledger? Are they are they that good? And they just they just need a shot. And at Utah, because of the circumstances of the unfortunate tragedy with uh, Ty Jordan, and then the other guys, they didn't think they were going to play, so they all took off. And so it's a unique set of circumstances here. And the door is wide open, metaphorically speaking, as far as some kid to take it and run through it and get the ball and literally run through it and is it going to be either of these two kids i don't know where does it where do they fit in how do they fit in and that's just the utes and i can go down the list with a bunch of other teams sc had guys leave Carr, i thought was going to be a great running back for them well where, where do you go nebraska is that where i believe you are correct yeah Stephen Carr, remember him? I do. Uh, yeah. I thought he was good. And right. I was surprised he, he was leaves. gone. Right, yeah. yeah. And so what does that mean? But they got other kids that come into the program. And, and they have a history of bringing people in, and maybe he just saw the writing on the wall. So maybe there's somebody who's about to blow up, and he made a smart yeah, decision, but, even though we think he's good. And plus they were passing offense now. That's and, a factor, clearly. And so yeah. how does that Not. factor in? And I could go through every single team and look at kids coming into the program kids leaving the program, uh, what and is what that you say going about, to be? And what you say about last year, this funky mini-season that they played, which means there's essentially two recruiting classes waiting to break out, plus the transfers, that's a whole lot more fresh faces and doubt than we normally have. Now, the transfer thing we may get used to, because that may become standard, but it's new right now, and maybe we'll adapt to it in the long run. And maybe ranking recruiting classes, which was already a little dicey, is about to be a ridiculous waste of time because there are going to be so many transfers. Right. Who could have a major impact or could end up being not very good enough for the Utes. You know, it didn't really matter. Let's face it, Bentley didn't play that well, and we're all hyped on him because he came from the SEC. Oh, my gosh. He didn't win the job, and then he had to be pulled in favor of a walk-on who saved their bacon as they rallied to win. And and if they would have lost, it wouldn't have mattered either way. I get it. I mean, it it was a good score. It was basically a throwaway season as far as that goes. It was going to be their last game, whether they went two and three or three and two last year. Who really cares? They weren't going bowling. They knew it. And it was. it was but the point is, an he unusual play. situation. He didn't play well. Not he, right. Anything else. And so, what, if it would have been this year, that could be a big difference because this year we're expecting the twelve games. We're expecting a normal season, and so we hope for that for sure, and we expect it. And yet, it could be a significant addition, or it could be a significant positive or a significant negative. 
I don't know. And I don't even know if Charlie B's going to win the job because Rising did win it last year and their whatever limited camp they had, he looked really good and that's why he won it. And then I think he played 14 snaps. And Kyle has gone on record multiple times saying the kid is about 95% and over the course of the next three weeks should be uh, 100%. And the reality is he probably doesn't need to be 100% to beat Weber. Uh, 95 is probably good enough uh, for the first game. And then we'll see about the next week for the the Cougar game down there uh, in Provo, as far as that goes. But I'm really intrigued to see how all these questions, eventually they'll all be answered. That's the great thing about it, is all these questions that we have with these transfer kids coming in and out, you'll end up answering them. We'll know. And maybe Brewer is the guy. Uh, I, it's not like I have doubts, but I have, I, I guess I do have doubts I don't have doubts in his ability, but I don't care if he threw for 9,000 yards or whatever in the Big 12 because I view the Big 12 as playing offense in Colorado with the Rockies. Yeah, you said that to Britton Covey, and, and he got that. He signed off on it. I thought his breakdown of Brewer and what he does well, you know, Huntley with the pre-snap reads, and they've got the same offensive coordinator, and that seemed to work pretty well. So if the offense is really set up where, hey, we're going to craft that with the talent we have, we're going to craft a formation, and you're pretty much going to know where the ball needs to go when you step the line to scrimmage. If you've done your homework and if your face was buried in your playbook, you're going to know. Well, Huntley did know. By the time he was a senior and he had that offense down, he, he largely knew. I mean, if you don't know, you turn it over. And if you turn it over, Kyle's screaming at you on the sideline and yanking you out of the game. No, he had a kick about senior so, year. Right. He had a great senior year. So I thought that's like, well, if he's got what Huntley's got, it turned out pretty well with Huntley. Sure. Yeah. Now, Huntley had Moss running. And to your point, we don't really know. It sounds cool when guys come in from big-name schools, and I suppose that probably ups your chances more, but I learned to cool off on transfers really early when I was still calling UC Santa Barbara games straight out of college. They got a transfer from USC. Straight out of Compton? Straight out of college. Oh, oh, oh. And it got a, uh, <laughs> they got a transfer, and he is a 6'9 guy from USC in a league where 6'9 was a legit big man. And he couldn't crack an eight-man rotation. At best, he was guy nine. So mm. calm down on the transfers. All, all the coaches will tell you, if you hit on two-thirds of your recruits, you're good. If you hit on three-quarters, you're great. So when you see kids transferring from Michigan or Notre Dame or Oklahoma or any other brand-name program, well, are they transferring because they were buried on the depth chart by another five-star stud who's going to be a first-round draft pick? Or are they transferring because they're that quarter or third that mm, those coaches miss? You know, everybody at Alabama doesn't get drafted in the first round. Even Saban misses. He's got enough first rounders you don't really notice. So, who are these kids who are bouncing from Saban misses, but how about Mrs. Saban? Does she? Hey, oh. <laughs> don't even know what that means. So, I just make a noise and hope we can move on. Hey, oh. What does that mean? I don't know. Turn the page. Well, we know that programs, the wives are heavily involved and they could be an acid. My guess she doesn't miss because they they seem to turn out just all sorts of NFL guys. And you're right, not everybody can be, but they certainly uh, they have a percentage, percentage must be about like eighty five, ninety percent. They're Ted Williams, man. Nick's the, rest the last of them, guy to hit four oh six. Rest of them, uh, I don't know. So I'm really intrigued to see how all this goes with these transfer guys that coming in and who is going to make a difference because there's going to be some guys. 
I think can make big differences in this conference that haven't played it down for their current team. How many of them are going to be skill position where we really notice and how many are going to be that one extra offensive or defensive lineman who gives you depth and lets you rotate Guys, it doesn't show up as the guy didn't come in and get eight sacks and we're all staring at him, but having one extra defensive tackle just mattered and you didn't get worn down late in games because you're a little deeper. I think that's where transfers are going to help. I'd be surprised if transfers come in, blow up, and are the superstar with 10 sacks or a thousand yards rushing or throwing 30 touchdown passes. Okay, well, then have the Utes, then they don't have a thousand yard rusher then. Unless it's Bernard, who's in the program, but they usually have 1,000-yard rushers. So if these guys split time or there's an injury and one guy runs for 700 and one guy runs for 800, I don't care. Yeah, but if that's, neither that, one of these a, guys... That, Kyle likes to use that line, but it ne- that never happens. If neither one of these guys <laughs> can average four and a half yards a carry, we're all going to care a lot. You got 4.1 guy and 3.9 guy over there. Uh, that's not really. They how can Kyle's talk about done. them throwing the ball all they want, but if they don't have a thousand yard rusher, they're in trouble. Because I mean, after there's, fifteen, there's sixteen <laughs> years, he ain't changing. Come on, he doesn't want to change. He may have to, but he doesn't want to. Well, I don't think he has to. Well, if the quarterbacks are really good and the running backs aren't, then maybe he has to. But that's back to your point about how well, do we know? He hasn't had to put it that right. Way. He hasn't had to, but maybe this year the quarterback talent would be better than the running back talent, and they'd be better off throwing the ball more. Maybe so. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. That'd be interesting. But I'm with you. It's not the way I would bet sitting here right now. But it's why this season is so interesting because you can't absolutely rule that out. And he'll know. He may hate it. He may have that internal conversation with him. I don't want to do this, but I don't really think the running backs are going to get it in the end zone. We're going to, all right, open it up. You know, that may be what he has to say to himself before he barks something into a headset. And also, too, this year, it's like the NBA to where we can normally pick one or two, three, four teams at the most. I think you can make a case for six teams having the ability to play in a Rose Bowl. You're really pushing it at six. I figured the way you were starting, you were going to say five. Because I think four is pretty easy to say. So I knew you'd push it to five, but I didn't know you were going to push it to six. I'm saying that was easy. Three in each division. So who is the third team in the North? Because Arizona State is the third team in the South. Yeah, Stanford. And UCLA doesn't have the chance. Chip can't do it. Uh, I don't totally rule rule them out. I mean, they've been there. He's been there for three, four years. DTR now. It's about, it's about it's, time, right? Yeah. you got I, a veteran quarterback, and you've loaded the roster with your guys. Just talking to him, you could see he has a level of confidence. They're Jake Scott's sleeper team, and maybe he'll be right. They're going to win games. I can tell you that much. They're going to beat somebody. You got them, what, 7-5? I haven't doped out their you schedule. Doped it out yet? No, but they're going to win games. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, if you're joining us a little late this morning, just getting rolling here, uh, free agency starts today in the NBA. 4 o'clock Mountain, 6 Eastern. We had on Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk, and PK asked a question, the kind of specific question that makes me think he knows more and he's letting on. We'll get to that next. See if we can pry it out of him. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. 
pitch. Swing and a high fly ball to deep left field. Back goes Contreras to the warning track. To the wall. It is. There's the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 4.50 on the Big Show, and you can win fabulous prizes. All right, PK, we had Dan Feldman on, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk, and uh, we were discussing moves that could be made. He thinks it'll be a wide-open Western Conference next year. Uh, There are no uh, home runs where somebody's going to really lock it down the way we got used to for a while there with the Warriors. He does think Conley is coming back. You asked about some uh, some other guys for the Jazz, and you specifically asked about Kelly Olynyk. It's the kind of thing that makes me wonder: Have you heard something, or that's just your research, and you think he might be a fit? Oh, I, I, his name's out there, and uh, I think he might be a fit. Yeah, for what what they need, I like that man. Some size, he's got it. I don't like the man bun. Some three-point shooting. But I've never been it. a man-bun guy. That's my personality. No, so, I don't mind the long hair, but the man-bun. So two know. out of three ain't bad. Well. Size-shooting man-bun. Two out of three. <laughs> and if you got to live with one, that's the one you live with. I, see, I think with that mid-level exception, if they choose to use it, and it's, I'm not telling the man to spend his money, uh, he spends his money as he sees fit, and then he has every right to... Not or do whatever whatever he sees fit, and I'm speaking of uh, the owner, Mr. Smith. Whatever he decides, it's his money, and he's got the right to do with it 100% as he sees fit. But if they decide to go in that direction, I think they can get a player who can help them this very season. I don't think there's any doubt. I think they'll have people wanting... It won't be, what will you take it? It'll be, can I take it? I don't doubt they'll have people wanting. The question is, will it be the people they want wanting? Yes. You know what I mean? They'll and have choices. You have, you have your list of three, and your top choice doesn't really want it, and your second choice doesn't want it, and your third choice, so you're really kind of lukewarm on it. He wants it. Okay, that's one scenario. Now, the one where you've got three people, and all three of them want it, yeah, I'll come, yeah, I'll come, that's... Now you feel like you're dealing from a position of strength. I think they are dealing from a position of strength. Because Why they, wouldn't they be? Because they got Donovan Mitchell, and they got Rudy Gobert, and maybe by the time they're talking, these guys have Conley locked down, and they'll know, hey, this is one of the better teams in the West. Well, they already know that. It already is. They don't need more proof on that. You think it still is if they lose Conley? I think Conley's coming back. I do, too. So I'm under the assumption I'm that under, Conley is I'm going to be in uni this season. But it is an assumption. It's not something I know. It's something I, I assume. I'm 90%. I, I agree. That's pr- plenty good. Are you Any odds in the betting world, you if I give you 90%, 90%, you're taking it. You can't really, in a football game, have better odds than that. The doctor says you got a 90% chance of beating this potentially fatal disease. You take it. If it's potentially fatal, then I can't have 100, can I? No, no, you can't. I've been there. Not with me, but with somebody really close to me. I get it. And they said 80%. And I'm thinking, all right. I want 90. Well, I want uh, 99.9. I like 80 80 better than I like 47. So 90% is, is in mathematics, it's a given. And when I took geometry, that's the only question I could get right without cheating was the given one. (laughs) I got one. (laughs) 
<laughs> Everyone turns around with their number two pencil and looks at you. Right, right. We, we all got one. Shut so <laughs> I believe, and I, I have believed this for years, NBA players are smart enough to look at the situation and say, that is a good situation. Well, no, oh, Derek Favors isn't the only guy. Not all of them are smart enough to say that. <laughs> You're never going to get 100% want. on anything. Agreed. I believe the ones that they want are going to be able to look at the situation and say, where do I... you got to fit, though. If you don't fit, you don't want to be there in the first place. It doesn't matter how much money you're going to get. But when it's wide open, by definition, if we take off our jazz... I don't. Know, I was going to say green and gold. Blue, purple, they're wearing a lot of colors these days. If you take off your jazz glasses, you know there are other situations that are good, too. Because the person they sure. want... May be wanted by the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, don't mean to leave your team out, whoever, you know, that also have a legit chance. Yeah. Great. So I don't know that, you know, to sit here and say, oh, they're going to get who they want. I hope so. Their chance is as good as anybody else's chance. And I'm speaking from the West. The West, I don't concern myself with the East because you got to get out of the West. You don't get out of the West. Who cares who you're playing? As I look at the West, there's nothing that has changed my mind to say this team has peaked and is on the downside. To the absolute contrary, I can't say that. I can't even come close to saying that when your best player is 24 years old. It just doesn't make any sense. 34, 30, whatever, different story. But not 24 years of age. No, absolutely not. Who on, I mean, I don't think he had any legs in the, in the uh, last game, right? You were, what, what, what are we down he had to? one. No, I don't, I don't think. Both of them. They were, they nope. were fractured. Uh, nope. He had cancer of the ankle. You, he had all you can make stuff. stuff up to mock me all you want. <laughs> And you just made up something I've never even heard, but I don't want to repeat it and speak it into existence. Well, yet he overcame, that wasn't a thing until DJ said it, and now I'm hearing about it. I blame DJ. Thirty-nine, nine and nine. If you want any more proof that this kid's a beast, oh all I gotta gosh. do is say he had no explosiveness and he had thirty-nine, nine and nine. Right. I don't need any more proof. Agreed. And yet he's only twenty-four years of age. So it makes zero sense to say this team has peaked. It just, it, there's no way it has. So there's going to be players, and yeah, there's going to be, I want competition, because if I sign 25 recruits in football and they had no offers, what do I got? So I want there to be competition for player XYZ services. Because that means other teams want them. I don't want it to where, well, sure, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll offer you because we ain't got nobody. Well, I'll take it because I ain't got nobody. I mean, who wants that? So we're going to come out of free agency, whatever the heck happens today at 4 o'clock. And largely we think we know. Hopefully it'll be a surprise or two because those are fun. But largely we think we know, right? We think Kawhi Leonard's going to stay put. We think Mike Conley's staying put. We think Chris Paul is staying put. The only thing we We know is Matt Thomas is on the move. Yeah, he is. And we think Lowry is going to Miami in a sign-and-trade. Let him go. Right. But the point is that he's not coming to the West because there had been speculation about Dallas and New Orleans. And New well, Orleans seems to be on the realm. For, agreed. But they signed Dragic. Is it set up for a sign and trade? If they do the sign and trade, then I think they can give him a fourth year, which for a guy in his mid 30s <laughs> feels like the, he's 35. The jackpot. 
Well, again, you're 35, you're getting four. No. Yeah, again, you're right. Get the jackpot. Yeah, another jackpot. So that's three really good teams in the West, and you'd put Denver in that category if you knew they were going to have Murray back. And hell, we're not clear when he's coming back. And I'll tell you why Golden State will be in the mix too when we come back. All right, we'll do that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. NBA free agency starts at 4 o'clock Mountain Time. Of course, there's been lots and lots of talking behind the scenes. Washington could be pursuing Alex Caruso. Taking away some of the Lakers' depth there. I've seen that. You're reading The Athletic? Yep, there's the story right now. <laughs> Whole list of deals. The I, Ball Brothers together again in Charlotte. I can tell when you're focused on something. It's usually that. Evan Fournier isn't coming back to Boston. All right, but you have something that matters to Jazz fans. Yeah. Golden I, State Warriors, this huge X factor. Oh, championship experience. Clay Thompson's been out two years getting him back. Steph Curry looked awesome. He just needs a little help. He was killing it last year. Everybody knew it was coming and nobody could stop it, but they didn't have enough around him. Well, I can tell you Michael Thompson, his son Clay Thompson, is looking really good. I saw him riding a bike on the Strand in Manhattan Beach. Oh, that's it? That's the big tip? Clay Thompson looks good just, riding a bike? Just the way he was riding the bike, yes. You could tell he had it. He rides a bike like a big-time athlete. Yeah. It's because he's a big-time athlete. He was riding the bike. He looked healthy. He was with a lady. And I saw him coming. He was heading north, veered off into one of the uh, streets up to, I assume, his house. I don't know that. Those houses cannot be touched for, sheesh, right, the closer to the water, anything under five. I think Dan Tony had one right on the strand. He sold for $29 million. hey <laughs> What the heck did he sell it for? Oh, for $29 million. hey he, uh, he was going back east. Uh, well, I don't know. He seemed like he's had 100 jobs now uh, yes. over the last several years. I can't. Was it the Knicks? Did he did he coach them for a while? He was Somebody? an assistant. He was. Did he sell when yeah, he was a Knicks a head coach? Oh, okay, so not when he went back to be Brooklyn's assistant, right? No, but he was a Knicks head coach at one point. He was a Rockets head coach at one point. Yeah. He was a Suns head coach at one right. point. Right, but it was the, after the Lakers. Oh the yeah, Lakers. I left that out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was after that, and I saw that he sold it for twenty nine million dollars. So I've seen a number of guys. Your prototypes uh, hanging around Manhattan Beach area. You name it, I've probably seen them walking around there. So Steve Nash body surfing. Oh, your guy Trevor Hoffman there once. Uh, Pau Gasol. And so the other day I saw Clay Thompson. I saw Richard Jefferson. Uh, I stopped and talked to him a couple years ago. Former jazz man turned yeah. broadcaster. His broadcasting career is going very well. Yeah, it really has. And it's continuing to go, which I knew. You knew right from the start. Launched it on Talking Sports. Picking sure NCAA tournament again. <laughs> Got a call from Jazz PR. Got a guy who wants to be on yeah. your Sunday night show. What? Well, that's all it takes for me to get my gig back? Mm-hmm. No, he didn't get paid. <laughs> I'm making a phone call, too. Suck. He was really good the first time. He just had it. Saw him. So I expect the Warriors to be a contender this next season. Certainly. Uh, Second tier or top well, tier? To the point where they can beat you in the postseason, and that's all that matters. They may not be a contender for all four rounds. 
but they get but they beat can take you. out anyone. If you draw them in the first round, you're sweating bullets. Second Tough series. round, whatever round. Each round after I that think, means well, they're that much better. Yeah, yeah. I, I assume the West is going to be back. That no one's going to get a free pass in the second round. I mean, the West is <laughs> that's not going to happen. I agree. Yeah, you might get one in the first round. Jazz got the Grizzlies. They weren't ready to win. Well, if you're one and eight, you should. Right. But at but two and seven, yeah. that was a six game series right, right. that was impacted by multiple injuries to both teams. Right. So I, I get one and eight, or in this case, it was nine with this play in. I'm ambivalent if they want to keep the play in. I really don't care. I thought it was overhyped. But for those people who get paid by the NBA to endorse the NBA, they're going to say it's the greatest thing at the time. And I was fine with it. It added a little extra drama. Fine. In the final analysis, Memphis the, was gone. In the final in analysis, games. those teams are going to be gone. Yeah. But it does seem to prevent... Those teams have something to play for as far as a home game and the owner can make money. And so it seems Great. to slow down the dumping of games. Great. It'll still happen, but it slows it down. Well, what it won't slow down is the teams at the top resting guys. Nope. Won't slow that down. I think. And teams 14 and 15, you whatever, you're out of it. Right. So I don't, uh, it, the, you're paying $100 or whatever it is to go see a game and star XYZ isn't playing. Who cares what's happened at the other end of the standings? Doesn't, the issue of them not playing anywhere close to the full schedule is still there no matter how you trump up the bottom of the standings. And I think that's the far bigger issue than which teams get in and which teams don't get in because those teams that do get in, they're only going to be there for a short time anyway, as we saw. But if they want to do it, no problem. I've got zero problem to do it. I just don't think it's the it's that big of a deal. If they didn't want to do it, I wouldn't care either way uh, because I'm expecting the number one team to beat the eight or nine or ten, whoever it is that gets in there, and my percentages of being right are going to be extremely high <laughs> in that case. Good call, boss. Right. So, but do it. If it adds a little more excitement, I'm all for it. I, I, no, no problem there. Uh, I just don't really care what's going on at the bottom. I'm focused that, especially because the only time that comes into play is in this case, instead of being in May, it'll be in late March and April, right? And I'm so focused on what's happening at the top end of the standings at that point, as opposed to worrying about the bottom end. Uh, but if you're in there, and I think it was a, it was a, the, the ideal scenario, getting the Warriors in there and have them go out in the first round, I don't think it would have done much for the Warriors because even though they are a, a team in transition, they weren't playing a lot of young players at that time because Wiseman was out, right? So most of their guys that they were playing were older guys, so I don't know that they could benefit from the experience. But nevertheless, clearly Memphis is going to benefit from that experience. I don't think there's any question about that. And people are going to be excited to see Memphis, if you're a Memphis fan, because they competed and Morant looks like a you know, very, very good player. So that worked for them. That was the best-case scenario, even though Memphis wasn't the bigger name, but you're looking for a team that's on the come. The Warriors were just, they're sort of... They were treading water, and, waiting for Clay Thompson yeah, to get right. back and for young guys to grow up or a chance to add more pieces. Who do they get with a mid-level exception? Who do they get? I don't know that. But see, that, that, that's a different situation for them because guys want shots. So you're going to the Warriors, you're going to get shots? 
Seems unlikely. Right. Doesn't mean you won't fill Occasional. it. Occasional. Uh, but you know, w- with the Jazz, you can, they can, that, the, the great thing about it as I see it, and maybe it's because it's the homer in me and it's I want to see it, is that they can clearly define a role for that mid-level thing. So when, or if they choose to use it, when they sign somebody, that person, whoever it may be, an Olenek, a Doug McDermott, those players can come in and understand, even though they have yet to play for the team from day one at training camp, they can understand their role because it could be explained in great detail, I would think. That and you could define that, it. But that can't happen with uh, with another elite team, the Warriors or whoever else? No, because guys want shots. So you're going to okay, come in with the shots. Warriors and take shots? You're going to get shots when they go to help on one of their stars and the ball comes to you and you're open, which I would think is what's going to happen if you're a jazz yeah, but player we, as well. We can say, man, we need you to be a Jordan Clarkson light. Because we fire it up. We take it. Other teams, I remember uh, Dave Rose when he uh, took over the BYU. He said, everybody says they want to run. Yep. That's a true story. But, but nobody really wants to run because eventually you get tired. Right. You don't really want to. It's hard work to get in that good of shape to always run. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds good, but you really is, want to pay the price to be able to do it. Well, the Jazz, they take threes, and they take them and take some more of them. They've proven that. I don't know these other teams, I'd have to look, are they really that committed? So I wonder if a team like the Warriors – how many shots will be there? And plus, they're in they're in transition too. You know, what are they going to that be? That to me is the bigger question. The shots will be there for similar shots will be there for different reasons. But they both the Jazz and Warriors will get you in a scramble. And if you can hit open three, at some point your guy is going to have to leave and go help, and you're going to get your chance. But what are they going to be? I think you know the Jazz will be one of the, can be one of those top four teams in the West. Any team can be ravaged by injury. You might be a little more worried about the Warriors staying healthy. They've got older guys, and Clay Thompson hasn't played the last two years. How's his body going to react to a full NBA right. season? I saw him on the bike. Yeah, okay. You should so say in the when pounding... he was pedaling, the form was outstanding. I saw him on the bike, and you didn't, and you're jealous. Nope, I'm fine. Well, maybe a little bit, because it meant I would have been at the beach, so I'll give you that. But it was cloudy. I got I, ripped off this I past I take it. You still, you still smelled the ocean. You did get ripped off. You didn't get sunshine in 78. I saw one photo, and it was sunshine in 70s, but I didn't know you didn't get that every day. We didn't even come close. We only got it for like uh, two half days. I got agita, man. I wanted to be relaxed. <laughs> I'd come back, and I just, jeez. I gotta go back. And I gotta wait a year. Come on, man. Clear. Give me sun. But nevertheless, I think the Warriors will be a they'll be a player. To what level remains to be seen. See, I have far fewer questions. When you go down the, the, well, Denver, the roster of teams, the Nuggets the Jazz and the Clippers have fewer questions than anybody. The Nuggets and Clippers question is when do they get their big time players back from their knee injuries? And how are they going to be when they get them back? Right. Just because you come back. Yeah, are you coming back January one? Are you coming back yeah, March one? Yeah, but how do I know how you're going to be healthy? What what level of health are you going to be? Jamal when Murray you come had back? it really late in the year. It wouldn't shock me if he didn't play at all. And he's a younger guy, so he should be able to come back. But if they're being careful with him and based on how the year goes, and isn't that what happened with Clay Thompson? 
that they could have brought him back. But it didn't make sense. Uh, yeah, but different circumstances there. It is. Uh, the, the Nuggets, the nuggets believe that they're in the mix. For good reason. They are in the mix, if they're healthy. Yeah. But think, Jamal Murray... I think they're kind of on the bottom end of the mix. Jamal Murray's a big piece of the puzzle. He is. Yes, because what you don't want, you don't want to have Porter being a bigger piece of the puzzle than he should be. He's not good enough. He's too inconsistent. Maybe he'll get better because he's still young, so maybe I can revise that as the season goes along. But right now, when I look at questions, you bring Conley back, you add a player, which they will, in one degree or another. Right. Not that many questions. What questions do you have? How good a player and how good are they when Rudy sits down? I guess you can say uh, with, with Conley coming back, a couple of guys who are older, will their skills begin to erode to where it's noticeable? I think that they have enough talent around the perimeter that when Donovan sits, I mean, you miss him because he's Donovan, but they'll still be able to score it. With Clarkson and Ingles and Conley and Bogey, they'll still be able to score it. When Rudy's out, are they going to defend? Or is it going to be a layup drill? Uh, or the only way to stop the layup drill is to pack it in, and now guys are, you know, have wide-open three-pointers. Nobody shoots layups consistently. They don't even want to. They run to the three-point line. They don't even run to the basket. That's why I think they should have made some type of adjustment against the Clippers to see if they would have taken advantage of a potential taking it to the basket. On occasion, yes, but anytime you get a transition, you see two guys on each side, where do they go? They don't even go to the hoop anymore. Spot up. Yeah. High school basketball coaches running the three on two. <laughs> I put that chair there for a reason. <laughs> it doesn't even. They don't even do it anymore. Run wide. There's <laughs> yeah. that chair. Yeah. Break to the hoop. Yeah. NBA coach shaking his head like. Yeah. I wonder if they've they've transitioned away from that. High school coach turns around and yells at Quinn Snyder. My 16 year old can't shoot like your guys. Okay. These 16 year olds got to go to the bucket. Yeah, but it's see, a different I, game. I think shooting is getting better and better and it better. Is. It is. Because guys are knowing. it's they're, they're growing up with that being every, an integral part of the game. Every time we talk to somebody who's going to see their kids or the grandkids play AU ball, they're all saying that. Like, 12-year-olds go straight to the three-point line. A they've player all, like a watched. Duncan Robinson, or is it Robinson Duncan? It's Duncan Robinson. Duncan he, Robinson. He's gonna, they're saying he's going to get 18 to $20 million a year? Yeah, I read the athletic. Because he can shoot the three is that where they had plus it? percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there yeah. you go. Yeah, they had it in there. I read the story. You were right. I was reading it. I read their story. I, I didn't know ES- it was in there. I read their story. I read ESPN's story. Yeah. John Hollinger has a nice story up. You can read that thing. That's it's, awesome for yeah. this kid. And what skill does he's tall, obviously, but his three-point shooting. Shoot it. That's what they give you points percent. for. It's, I, th- it's I think all, that's awesome. It's all come full circle. Everything changes. And, and that's a skill you can work on. It's hard to work on your height. It's hard to work on your quickness and those types of things. But if you spend hours in the gym, like Joe Ingles clearly had spent hours in the gym catching the ball at the face level or higher and shooting it. They say, oh, you guys only have to work two hours a day. Yeah, you know the guys that work two hours a day in the NBA? You know what they're called? G League players or unemployed or European players. And, and that's probably a – I shouldn't even say that because those guys are working on well, I'll say what they call you? What they call you is on your way out the door. Yeah, like we, if you're not going to work that hard, right. go try somewhere else because we don't want you here. Right, and G League players and European players are working that hard just to be at that level. You got to work that hard and so, trying to get in the door to replace the guy who didn't work that hard. Yeah, 
And so you can work and practice and hone your shooting if you put in the time over and over and over again. Somebody like Joe, clearly when he catches that ball to his left side and it's above, it's about eye level, he doesn't have to take it down anymore. He just takes it and shoots it. And that was just, that's through repetition. That's practice. Who knows how many hours he's put in to practice. He probably doesn't even know. All he knows is he did a lot, a lot of it. Of it right. And now he's able to have that skill. So I think it's great that you could overcome some lack of inherent natural, so-called natural ability to work yourself in. And this Duncan Robinson kid is a classic example. He's going to get 18 to 20 million. Good on him because he's got that skill. And so that's why that's where I think that the Jazz are going to go with that mid-level is to find somebody who can make that shot. If he is a little deficient on the defensive end, well, you're probably not going to get an all-star at that price anyway. So it's, you know, give a little, take a little type thing here. What does he add? Yeah, he's got some weakness that they're going to have to address, but no team out there is perfect by any stretch. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We'll get you up to speed on everything you missed. There's some college football out there for you today, in addition to NBA free agency, and we'll get to that next. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON on your home of the the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Do you have an ideal time frame for naming a starter to help you get ready for the season? Oh, no. Games are starting quarterback. I think I've said that. So There's no ideal time frame. That's the guy. I'm tired of dealing with you people. Bill Belichick with the Patriots media right there. The most eloquent he normally is right there. Well, I think that I had heard that in longer form, and it's talking about the reporter was saying, well, you said that competition is open. Now you're saying that you've named the starter. Uh, where do we go with this? So he's trying to sort of like catching him, and didn't make complete sense, but it does look like uh, that Mac Jones at some point will play, but for now it's Newton, and we'll see Newton. I haven't given up on him yet. Maybe he can, maybe he can get better and with a full training camp and so forth, uh, be better than he was last season. I think that's true, but how much better? Because he's been to a Super Bowl, and obviously the Patriots have won a bunch of them, so he could be better, and maybe they can have a winning record and be a wild-card team, but is that enough for either one of them? It'd be better. You want to get better, so... Well, yeah, I mean, when you're in a division with Zach Wilson, the best you're going to hope for is second place. <laughs> he says leaving out the Bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the overwhelming pick I'm not to win leaving the division. out the Bills. I'm slotting them where they should be. Sell it. You're glad to be back, aren't you? <laughs> He's a Jersey boy now. These vacations are hard on you. <laughs> He's coming back to where he belongs. You watch Rookie of the Year. <laughs> Don't think I didn't make a pit stop when I went through Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made a pit stop. But that was just because all that Coke Zero you'd been drinking on the drive. I'm telling you, man. You mark my words. Mark my words. PK's quoting his mom now. NFL Rookie of the Year, Z-Dub. 
Yak, find the odds on those before this segment is up, will you? I don't need no stinking odds. I got eyeballs. That gives me odds. Believe me, I have some big eyeballs. (laughs) (laughs) I see. I seen. (laughs) That's the pro football news. A little college football news. Your favorite part of Pac-12 Media Day that you Lunch? enjoyed the most? No. <laughs> yeah, what was on the menu this year? A uh, little, little Italian. I sat next to Dennis Dodd, but he was busy talking, so I didn't, I didn't talk to him. Yeah. My favorite part? You got your, you got your theory vindicated and validated. Oh, I asked Keaton Slovis about it being too hot in Arizona in Phoenix because he's a Phoenix kid, and. He said, absolutely. But I already knew that. <laughs> I know you knew it, but you like hearing it out of the mouth of the USC quarterback who's from Arizona. See? I'm right. Genius. Well, I already knew it. They leave in droves. Your second favorite part, what did you learn? That either maybe devalued a team or uh, maybe pumped them up in your mind. You're like, uh, yeah, okay. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to take these guys a little more seriously. Oh, every single one of them. Because it's nothing but optimism that day. There's no negativity. Everybody's there to pump up what they've got. And they believe. You look at this, these programs now. Darrell's in his second year. He's such a good dude. It's hard not to root for him. Uh, he really... Because he was going to come, and then he couldn't come, and then he made sure he came back and circled back, mm-hmm. so he did it. He's such a top-of-the-line guy. You already know that. Uh, so everybody thinks they've got a shot. Uh, to what level? A shot to improve no, I from. Think that they think so they, Oregon State and Washington State, they're not saying they have a shot to win the league. They're saying they have a shot. Well, Winning record, bowl eligible, which would be I, a step forward. I, they're not Rolovich saying they don't have a shot, though. Himself. I mean, you look at the North and everybody wants to pick Oregon. Who's their quarterback? Well, Brown played a little bit last season, but is he going to? They're not even saying he's definitely he's going to be the starter going into camp, but they're not even saying he's going to be the starter coming out of camp. And I realize you don't you know you want to say that too much because you want to allow for competition. But we all know Keaton Slovis is going to be the starter going into camp. He's going to be the starter going out of camp. That's fact. And your boy Dave Fox, when he listened to the, the guy. interview that we did with Clay Helton, he's asking about Jackson Dart. He texted me. I said, I already did. This is you're hearing a tape version. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to say about Jackson Dart for the people who didn't hear it? Promising. Not this year. Unless there's injuries. Yeah. But we talked to, I talked to Slovis a little bit about that, and he likes him too because you know, Slovis was nowhere near going to play. Uh, and then uh, JT Daniels gets hurt, Slovis comes in, and then Slovis uh, gets hurt against the Utes right at the start of the game. And then old Matt Fink comes in and Wins the game. Of course, we were laughing about uh, all of the uh, pro guys just chuck it up to their receivers. <laughs> and, you know, it worked. Yeah. And they got in Brew McCoy and Drake London again. And these guys, 6'5", 6'3", 6'4", can move. Uh, you know, I need a program to list all the NFL receivers that SC has put in the last several years. Okay, like, but I, if they only hold, if people can only keep one name in their mind, Drake London, he's the real Oh, uh, right dad. now. He's the real deal. Yeah, and they lost a lot. Yeah, they did, but he's the real deal. Yeah, and have a good McCoy's year. McCoy's very good too. Yeah, but you know, just 
and they've it's got, that, they got some SC, new dudes coming in. The way they throw the ball, they could have three or four guys who everybody has everybody's name down because they've all been making a bunch of big plays. But London's going to be in the group. I talked to Clay Helton a little bit. Oh, we had a little technical glitch. The power strip went out, right? We're getting ready for Clay to uh, come on. Mm -hmm. And so we had to figure out what the issue was. And so it was a few minutes, and I had to change. And Clay just sat there. He didn't act. He didn't go big time. Chip Kelly might have been disgusted. (laughs) Started looking at his watch. Uh, But Clay sat. That's one of the reasons I love Clay Helton. He didn't big time anybody. And I was talking to him about this this enormous pressure and uh just we we're sort of laughing about it and even slovis acknowledged you know if you're not throwing for 400 yards even if you win what's wrong and it's so unrealistic the expectations i don't know that they can match them and meet them because the world of college football has changed so dramatically back in chasing the glory days of sc uh but they, I expect them to be really good. I, I understood why they were picked number one in the South. But to me, it was a no-brainer that they should be picked number one. Now, that's just a preseason poll. doesn't necessarily mean anything. And the Utes are going to have something to say about it. When do they play? I think October 9th. That's just October a, 9th in the Coliseum. Yeah, that's just a massive, massive game. Wish I could be there for that one. That's going to be such a big-time game. So much is going to be at stake. Got them both undefeated going into that game? I don't have their schedules memorized between now and then, or the, you know, once they get into conference. You're speaking of, uh, yeah, I, I assume you're speaking conference. USC opens with San Jose, who's coming off their oh, great, conference great title season. season. Great season, yeah. They got Stanford at home. Yeah, they always play them early now. Their first road game is at Washington State. I'd probably go three and zero. Yeah, but Stanford, Stanford to me is an intriguing team too. Home to Oregon State at Colorado. And I don't need. I don't even know what the Utes got between uh, the what their conference schedule. They got a bye, so that's good. I know they had that bye. It's Weber, BYU, San Diego State. They just play Washington State. Take a bye and play USC. So will it be five and zero versus four and zero, or does BYU or Stanford step in there? Well, and upset the Apple Cup. I assume the undefeated in the non-conference, but I don't. It doesn't. That doesn't really matter. Uh, is the, the important thing is that they go one and zero. That's the most important thing yeah, when they go into is. that game. It is. The other uh, stuff is window dressing, but it makes it sexy if they're both unbeaten. Oh well, yeah, especially for the Utes since they're not playing a power five. Uh, and they basically they don't even play a true road game. Because I don't think going to Provo is a true road game. And playing the Aztecs and Carson is not a true road game. Absolutely not. So <laughs> they don't even in my mind, they don't they don't really have a road game. In the manner that we think of road games. Get on a so, plane, fly somewhere, yeah. go into a hostile environment. Nope. Yeah. Bussin' and your fans will be in their corner and probably scattered all over the stadium. And the next place will be pff, Yeah, three, and it works both empty. ways. If BYU's playing at Rice Eccles, I, I would... don't think I, it's not a true road I game I would there say either. the same thing. Uh, so... Uh, that'll be a tough well, game, but not, we'll have, not the true road game. We can drive ourselves nuts with the comparative scores of how they both played Washington State, because that'll be their common opponent going into that game. That's a great early conference season matchup. L- love that game. And that, that they've had some great games, particularly down there. The Utes have been right there on the cusp of winning and haven't been able to do it. They're going to do it. I mean, they're not going to be 0-100 over the next 200 years. 
of uh, playing football. You can now. be the first Utah team to win in the Coliseum. Yeah, You've earned it. Go get it. They're going to do it. I mean, obviously. It's but are they going to do it this year? I don't know. I don't know. Now we'll have a lot more evidence. Uh, to be able to make more realistic predictions. That's why I think I think preseason predictions of individual games are a waste of time. Even sometimes during the week of the game, they're not necessarily all that revealing or true. But nevertheless, when you get to the week of the game, you have a much better feel for everything. Trying to make something uh, a prediction in October and August just seems like a complete and total waste of time. Too many variables, which we went into earlier this morning. All these transfers to recruiting classes to have breakout stars in. So oh, there yeah. could be a lot of players playing who really don't have much of a track record. Doesn't mean they aren't good. They but just, they will at that yeah. point. We'll know what the running back spot is for Utah. We'll know how the quarterback job is looking. Four games in, we should have a better idea. You know, yeah. And of course, we'll, you're also at the part of the year where then the injuries start piling up, and there could be some fresh faces in there. Next man up, buddy. Absolutely. What do you think about injuries? Who cares? <laughs> Starting a channel. It sucks. It sucks for the kid. 5'10", 227-pound former linebacker. Kyle Whittingham. Yeah, Mr. Big Shot. The Cavs. Yeah, oh yeah, he thinks he's all that. He should have played for the Cleveland Cavs. (laughs) (laughs) For the Utes, big games back-to-back. SC and Arizona State, mid-October. No, gigantic, yeah. The top two... Overwhelming favorites you come out of that 3-0. Yes. Yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah, without question. That's going to be hard to... Now, they got the Devils here, right? Because they didn't get to play down there last year. Uh, That's fact. Tennessee, home to issue. That's great, man. You should get, get the two guys out early. Other stuff we talked about today, free agency. We both think it's way more unlikely than not that Mike Conley ends up back in Utah. Can't guarantee there won't be a curveball, but it seems like everybody's best play. There's just no way he wants to drive another route that he doesn't know. You'd love that. (laughs) Kawhi Leonard ends up back with the Clippers. Chris Paul ends up back with the Suns. Kawhi Leonard, he may retire. Who knows? He's an odd duck. He also may not be available until midway through the season. Oh, or, I wouldn't think he would be. Or later. Yeah. Yeah, midway seems optimistic. Does to me. Yeah. You don't know how partially the partially torn ligament is, which I suppose could shorten it. Uh, yeah, but, but they're always cautious with him to begin with. Absolutely. So now you've got a real reason to be cautious, or you got a new reason, a current reason, and so, with that in we're, mind, we're not going to find out. But you know, there've been all kinds of talk about him and ongoing nagging injuries going back to San Antonio. You know, is this something that's been partially torn and strained, on and off, dating all the way back to the Spurs, and now he's done it, and it's worse? Or is this brand new and not linked to anything that happened in San Antonio? The one constant is he's not playing eighty-two games. The one constant, Ray, is baseball. If I offer you Kawhi Leonard, 45 games over or under, what do you say? I just pick 45 because it's a little more than half the season. 
I think you take the under. All right. Well, you didn't even give me a chance to ask. I was answer. predicting what you would say. You can answer whatever you want. I'd, I'd wash. I'm going right at 45. <laughs> <laughs> right on the fence. How does that feel? It hurts. He's going right there. Right there at 45. Uh, he probably needs about 25, 30 games to get ready for the postseason. That sounds good. But how often does that pay off? How often does a champion have a star player who played 25 or 30 games? I know, but if that's the circumstances, you may not. I'm not it may saying, not be an option. That's not the ideal thing, but they may have no choice to do that. I, mean, I agree with you. I would think the Lakers. Well, and we the thought Suns that with the, the Lakers Jazz. this last year. Get LeBron and AD back. Yeah. Blah blah blah. And would that have worked? Maybe it would, but AD got hurt again, so we'll never know. They he, didn't have their guys. He's injury prone to say the least. Now I don't see how you can argue that. Which is why I think that they're. I don't think LeBron will win another title. How about that? Unless he realizes and comes to his senses. And signs with the Jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's finishing his career with the Lakers. How can they put enough around him? Yeah. And you told a fabulous story. Frightening. Different. A lot of people were caught in flooding. And a lot of people have stories. I mean, the the video from, uh, I think it was, was it Liberty Park or Sugar House Park? Or both. Um... I retweeted it so you can check out David DJ James. Uh, there, there was some hideous video. Downtown, there was some dude kayaking. There was so much water on city streets, there was a guy kayaking. So there's water everywhere. But Cedar City, and there's a bunch of horrible stories out there, and a bunch of people are flooded everywhere. So not to minimize what anybody else went through, but Cedar City looked like they got it as bad as anybody, or worse. Yeah, all of a sudden, And man. guess who was driving back from SoCal? Me and the old lady. There it is. Yeah. Had to come to a stop on the freeway, and you could see this water coming down from the top down a little hill, and then also along the side of the freeway, and it was racing right towards where we were on the freeway, and it's like, all right, this water is going to come on the freeway, going to be on the road. There's no question it's going to be on the road. To what level? And you can't drive past it. No, you stopped. You, you're you're in. You're literally stopped on the freeway. There's the cars tons of cars in front behind of you. Tons of cars are in front of you. So you're not going anywhere. No. And the water's coming for you. And you can see it. You look over to your right, and you can see it coming down a hill, just gushing down like a faucet on full speed, full velocity. And you think that water's coming on the freeway. What's going to happen here? Is this car going to turn into a canoe? And then I look over, and a bunch of people start crossing the median. I look over, honey, darling, what should we do? And I, I said, well, I think I'm going to cross the median, too. So we did. So is the median all muddy? Or is it, I don't know what it is there. Because some, in some places, there's like two raised roads, one northbound, one southbound, and it's just dirt in between. Fortunately, where we were was one of those things that... Uh, law enforcement can use. Ah. So like a little path. Yeah. The, the land bridge. So that was maybe 15 yards ahead. So I thought about going across, but it dropped down and there was water in there. And you think you're going to get stuck. And I think that's okay, not good. Yeah. If I'm, <laughs> good. Then we're doomed. Whereas I can wait and the cars were going one by one. So you're going to have two. your chance to go on that. And I, fortunately, the cars are going two by two in a flood. That was clever yeah. what you did there. I see what you did. Yeah, yeah, you want good. cars in the future. <laughs> yeah. And 
So fortunately for us, we were close enough that I gauged that I can get to that before the water comes over on the road, which is exactly what happened. And then by the time this this was just seconds, maybe two minutes, then when I made the decision we're crossing that I could go across to where the where the police would go or the sheriffs would go, got in the southbound lane, got off the freeway, waited it out for about forty five minutes, and then got on was gonna go highway ninety one, I think, or road ninety one or road ninety or something. But that was closed off. Police had they had cones and, and blinking lights. And then we went on one twenty no one thirty. Did I say it was one thirty, I think it was? Through Minersville, some dink town at least 15 miles west of I 15, and then caught I 15 north, went underneath the I 15 bridge. The creamery was right to your right in Beaver, and then got on, went on Main Street and got on that way. And uh, so it took about uh, uh, probably about 90 minute delay. Under the circumstances, not bad. Left at like 3.15, got home about a little after 8, which wasn't too bad under the circumstances. There were places that got an inch of rain in like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I'm sure that one did, yeah. Yeah. And it was coming down big time. You don't get that kind of rain in the west. You get it more in the east. I'm familiar with that in the east. Uh, But to that intensity, was Mother Nature was very, very impressive. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Feedback of the day is brought to you by Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Quit spending time sorting pills. Call Ochre Mountain Pharmacy today and have them sort and deliver your custom prescription blister packs free of charge. Call them at 801-252-1000. That's Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Your feedback, PK, you mentioned uh, Kelly Olenek in a question this morning with Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. I thought that was strangely specific. I brought that up with you, and Jeremy Fairbanks tweets at us, Olenek, question mark, interesting, exclamation point. I think he is. For what they need, what they want, what his skill set is. Ryan says, I hope the chatter he's hearing is for Olenek on the vet minimum and not the MLE. The Jazz should be spending their MLE, middle-level exception, on a wing, not a backup center. Isn't he a wing, too? And he got mm. some wing skill? He shoot the three? What, what's your definition of wing, I guess, I guess these it, days? The, the ability to guard an athletic 6'7 guy, and he's not going to do that. So he's kind of an old-school 4-5 combo so guy. So you want him to lock down Paul George now? <laughs> well, preferably. And you're going to get him the minimum. Yeah, sure, right? <laughs> because he wants to be here. It's a chance to win a championship. Does he throw 100 miles an hour, too? <laughs> yeah. And he's going to give him more homers than Atani oh, on geez. the minimum. Come on, man. It hurts my voice to try to make a break like that. And then you were talking to uh, Rhino about uh, you were talking about bringing in guys to shoot, and you know what you get with the Jazz because they'll shoot the three. And Rhino says too many shooters, not enough shots. Oh, I like it. Yeah, he didn't tag you; he tagged me, so I'd see it. He tagged Jake, so Jake would play this silly little song. What a silly little song! That's one of Johnny Lightfoot's best uh, creations, man. Johnny. Because I like you, I was a, seriously one hundred percent. I was about to say that. Stupid song. I thought, no, I like Johnny. I'll call it silly. Because I like Johnny. 
So I called it silly. And I know Johnny worked hard on that, and we appreciate Johnny trying the to make hit? the show better. Although, Johnny could make it better. <clears throat> not at my expense, Johnny, if you're listening. Was, you know what I mean? He did not mock you. That was not mockation. <sighs> he tried to make that clear later after he'd seen you'd hurt my feelings. Well, your feelings never should have been hurt in the first place. He... <laughs> I did say that fast. <laughs> upon further, upon second that is, review. That is not edited whatsoever. Uh, I thought you were rapping it. That was about the Celtics. <laughs> and by the way, I was right. They did have too many shooters. They didn't have enough shots. And that thing looked promising and melted down. Nailed it! <laughs> Great. Assign him to a long-term deal. He nailed something about the Celtics. Yep, you guys fans you. are impressed. Yeah, I knew you would be. <laughs> now back to our audience. Listening to the Conley discussion, Jeff says, I'm not sure the PK most fans understand this is a binary decision. Do you sign Conley? Or do you sign no one with that money? Jazz can sign one mid-level exception player and as many minimums as they want, whether or not they sign Conley. Yeah, PK did understand that. He was tweaking me, trying to push me in the discussion. And then he came back in another segment and said, I think they should sign Conley. I think they will sign Conley. I think Conley knows he wants to be here. And it's a risk. But it's the prudent risk. There are no guarantees. This is a marriage that both parties want. There it is. Now, I don't know what's eternal. Now they can't. What's the timeline the on this? Which, we, what do you guys say? What? Stop. Stop. <laughs> just, just stop. For time. And no, it's 10 o'clock. We're done. For parts of time. This will go on for eternity, eternity if I don't end the show. <laughs> That's the lesson here. Very good point. Can Let's you get go. out of it up there? Hands and Some Scotty. people get out of it down here. <laughs> 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 Things to ponder. We don't really know. I mean, I don't. Maybe you guys do. Hands and Scotty. There, everything is so awesome. You don't want to get out of it. Just hit the button, <laughs> Yaki. He's just going to keep doing Come this. Come on, See man. See you tomorrow. <laughs>